Ladies and gentlemen, may I present for your intellectual and philosophical pleasure Run Fast on Raw Dog Product Comedy Hits Channel 99 
on to match your Madison shoes. We got a thing we call the Madison Blues. Yeah, buddies, it's the Ron and Fez show. Uh, looks like Chris Stanley running a theme opening for us today. Is that it, Chris? A salute to Mr. Bumgarner. That's very nice. I wonder why the uh, well, ESPN wasn't over that tomorrow. Uh, or last night. Tomorrow, I guess, would be in the future. Uh, Chris, I wanted to say something to you and get it out of the way. Uh, obviously... Happy April Fool's Day. And uh, I just want to say that even though it's April Fool, I want everybody to believe me when I tell you that Mayor Menino has passed away. Yes, you heard it here on April Fool's. Mayor Menino has died. So. Wow. Get it? Uh, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. It is the Ron and Fez show on a Monday. Um, did you just do a quick search to see whether I risked your career or not? What does happen though when I... You don't you realize what you're doing? It's just, just a quick check. Thanks, Google. Uh, I got the text from you last night, Chris. Yeah. We all had the chance to watch Game 7 of the World Series. Now, let me tell you something. When people talk about what sport is better than what sport, obviously anybody can pick what they want. But there is no stress and pressure like there is in a World Series. These were not my teams. I did not have any money bet on them. And yet my heart was beating out of my chest. And I felt like I could have had a stroke watching that game. That's why Major League Baseball is so incredibly exciting. Because you get behind this guy that really... Uh, is not your dog in the fight, and you find yourself saying, for no apparent reason, please, God, let this kid do this. I'm watching a miracle. Let it play out. As that pitch count went up and up, I was like, this, and... You were, you had picked against him, yeah. and I'm sure you were pulling for him. He's a major dude. <laughs> He's oh, a major no. dude. He's shit for real. Watching him do that, watching one Royal after another swing high, I got, I, at his fucking heat, I was, this guy's the fucking real deal. It was an amazing thing to see. It was an amazing thing to see. Now, while it happened, the stress level in that building and you're watching on TV and the stress level of seeing this take place. A guy who is going to win his third World Series out of a seven games, uh, his third World Series game out of seven games. And you're like, what? how? 
<laughs> what am I watching? How is this happening? And I, literally, I called my dad after the game. And my dad's a, a real baseball guy. And I'm like, Pop, what did we just watch? Did that even happen? And my father says to me, and again, he may have been caught up in the moment. He said, I watched the Don Larson game when he pitched the perfect game for the Yankees. Which, by the way, was 1956. And he says to me, this was more impressive. Jesus. What we just saw tonight, seeing that kid come back two days after pitching a shutout and pitch five more shutout innings, it, I, I, I have no idea how that went down like that. And he was unhittable for those five innings. Like he, he, it was the two hits I got were f- fluke, and just the, his goddamn speed never went down. He when dominated it. That, when that short hop went behind and they're kicking it around in the outfield, I'm screaming the stupidest thing I've ever screamed in my life at a TV. I'm screaming, shame on you. Shame on you. Because I just felt like they were tearing this away from this kid. Oh, when the guy, when what, the left What fielder? man yells shame on you during a ball game? That... You would have to be English or something ridiculous to say something that stupid. For shame. I know. That's exactly what it was. And I felt like everything that I had built in my life was being torn down around me. It was phenomenal to see that. Then they get up this morning and saying the hearing people uh, on sports radio saying they should have sent the runner home. He'd have been out by 20 feet. The cutoff man had the ball before he hit third. On Twitter, as it was happening, people were freaking out, saying, why Why didn't he go home? Inside the park home run. What was going on? I will also say this. If you did not watch that game last night because you think you're no longer interested in baseball, shame on you. Amazing. If you're a sports fan and you were not watching that, I don't know who you are. At two outs, the bottom of the ninth, they're down by one, and that triple happens. Like, what? Every World Series, you will look up and you will see women and men who have bought tickets who are covering their eyes or just having their face pressed into somebody else's shoulders. The pressure, the tension that takes place there, it's unbearable. And those good people of, uh, in Kansas City got their hearts torn out by Mr. Bumgarner. And yet, it was probably the greatest summer of their lives. You know what I mean? Like After 30 years? Yeah, just to find your team in that position. You know what I mean? They were 90 feet away. <sighs> they from sw- tying up. They sweep into the series, and it goes to seven games. You're a swing of the bat away. Even though it's April Fool's money. Thoughts and prayers go out to the Menino family today. That's uh, that was very unexpected. I knew he hadn't been feeling well. I hadn't even known that. Uh, look what it is. It's hard right, Johnny. I got really scared for a minute until I, too, had to do a quick Google search. I thought maybe you just wanted out of your contract. I still, let me tell you, even during the Unmasked, I don't think they wanted out of their contract. <laughs> I still don't believe that. No, that would be a too big of a... That was a good one, though. Um, or Tom Menino. Yeah. Well, he was your guy, right? You were living up that way for a while? 
Well, no, I was really more of a Buddy Cianci guy who was the mayor of the other the, the other big town in New England of Providence who's been, I believe now, a three-time convicted felon, but still may may win, or no, two-time convicted felon uh, and may be winning a third term uh, in, in the office of mayor of Providence. It's amazing and it's great and, you know... No one can understand why people locally will pick that guy that they want. I grew up during the Frank Rizzo years in Philadelphia where everyone knew <laughs> and yet still voted for him overwhelmingly. That's it. I mean, but for those who don't, Buddy Cianci was mayor of Providence, found his wife banging some guy in front of their fireplace, beat the guy up, pissed on him, and burned his balls with a cigarette. Admitted to doing it, went to jail, got out of jail like five years later, and won re-election by a landslide. Like, just not even, people didn't even think twice. Then he was in office again for another, I want to say, like eight or nine years, and then got caught for corruption, went to jail again, got out of jail, and now I think that he's, he's contemplating running again, and he will win. He will win again without question. Well, that thing on the assault charge, he ran under his campaign slogan, hey, he had it coming to him. Oh. And... Uh, <laughs> Makes sense. Johnny, I understand we might be doing something with you soon. Oh, that That is the most exciting thing I've, I've heard in a long time. That made me very happy. Now, Chris dropped the ball on it, no. so I'm going to pick it up from here. All right, good. And uh, uh, because we should have had it you know, wrapped up today. But Chris, I called him last night, said, you take care of that thing. And he said to me, glug, 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 glug. <laughs> Watching this game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That'll be fun. Uh, I guess Davey Mack, because he's doing mornings, slept during it, huh? He DVRs. Yeah, that's not a sports guy. How do you DVR <laughs> the fucking Game 7 of the World Series? Actually, I didn't talk to him this morning, so he might have just gone all night and said, screw it. But I know he DVRs a lot. He DVRs stuff a lot, because, you know, he has to go to get up at 4 or 3.30 in the morning. I'm doing... Um the Bennington show tomorrow at, what, 7 o'clock? 7 a.m. On the Opie channel. I'm just going to stay up around the clock. I'm not going to try to sleep and get up early. That's too crazy for me. Not even a nap? Stay up around the clock. Play through. So, yeah, you got to play through. Sometimes you just got to play through. That's exciting as well, by the way, Ronnie, uh, you know, to get a double dose of Ron Bennington, whether it's... You know, Bennington Show, Ron and Fez, whatever it is. On math, you can, some days you can get a triple. You can get three different Ron Benningtons in a day. You actually will. Tomorrow you'll get a triple. I'm doing the Unmass show, too. Uh, the Dick Cavett Unmass is playing. That uh, is, it's like a... 2 p.m. Couldn't be any better. Yeah, and of course, we've got tickets out there to come and see Pete Holmes at Caroline's. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's happening next Thursday, November 6th at 11 a.m., Pete Holmes unmasked at Caroline's in New York City. Caroline laughs and it's raining all day. All right, Johnny. All right, boys. Coming up right. in just a couple of minutes, Graham Nash, the one and only Graham Nash, coming back to our show for a fourth time. That's pretty amazing. We're buddies with Graham Nash. That's the nuttiest thing I've ever thought of in my life. Never thought that would happen. Friends with Graham Nash of yes. Crosby, Stills, and Nash at Young. I'm hoping in Beddington. Wow. Uh, yeah, there's a a problem with the Crosby, Stills, Nash Young, too. There was some things said that w can't or won't be forgiven because everybody wants them to do one more tour together. Because it's weird. When you see those three guys, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, it's one show 
but when they add Neil, it's a completely different feel. You know, it suddenly becomes this big rock and roll band just by adding the other person. The other one is like that country rock sound that's, yeah. you know, but you add Neil and then it's a, just a different sound to that band. It's uh, amazing. So everybody wants Neil. Well, you know, all right now all four of them have their health. It'd probably be, you know, the last tour that they would ever do. But then something was said in the newspapers and... There's a beef, right? I mean, it's a lot. Missed opportunity. That's the regrets that you'll have in your life. When you did not... When opportunity did not and you did not answer. Remember that, Chris Stanley. I am. I'm going to burn that into my brain. Yeah, but the problem is you burn it into your brain with marijuana smoke. That's your problem. You always think, he thinks of it as thinking. Every time he smokes marijuana, he goes, I got some thinking to do. <laughs> Hold on, let me ponder this for a moment. Yeah, that's your big problem there. Uh, here's uh, John. John in Kansas, you're on the Ronnie Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, Royals fan, followed him all year long, ups and down of the season. They somehow make it all the way to Game 7 of the World Series, which... At home, in professional sports, it's a lot. You just win it. And this motherfucker comes in on two days rest. It just tears our heart out. That's the thing. I mean, you got beat by this freak occurrence. A incredible freak occurrence. He threw like 120 pitches in that complete game shutout. A once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. Kept you from winning the World Series. Oh, it's terrible. And yet, it probably will never be forgotten. You know what I mean? No. no. You know, it's like people will... If you guys would have won, the team probably would have... You know, the whole series, it would have been, you know, just forgotten. But now it's going to be one of those things that people will talk about forever. Um, here's something that just impresses me. I remember how you guys slept through the last unmasked, right? Don Wiki Wicklin just sent us an incredible checklist. So you won't have to think at all. You'll be able to follow his checklist and do everything. Looks like we've got an MVP coming up right now. I am very, very impressed. So, you want to get out for that Pete Holmes thing. Now, up on the iBank today is 10 great moments from the Pete Holmes show. All of us here were really big fans of that. Uh, obviously, the new material Seinfeld, what we thought was the funniest thing ever in the history of the world. But there's a lot of great stuff that put up. Uh, I know, uh, I think this is why it's going to be cool to talk to Pete, because I remember sitting down and talking to Louis C.K. right after Lucky Louis got canceled. And you would have thought, worst thing that could ever happen, but it turned out to be the best thing. Because with, if Lucky Louis stayed on the air, he never would have done, you know, the show that made him now a legend. Yeah, the FX show never happens. So something like that obviously could happen for Pete because he's got so much exposure from just doing that. Um, here is 
Sean. Sean, you're on the Run of Fed show. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Randy. Hey, yeah. who do you think generates more revenue, the Major League Baseball over seven games or the Super Bowl? I never really thought about it that way. I mean, I'm going to imagine the Super Bowl, but I don't know. Um, because Major League Baseball actually makes so much of their money selling locally over that. You know, their thing is about doing the 162-game season and selling each game. And something like their revenue has gone up three or four times. And, you know, as we sit around and talk about how to fix baseball, baseball has never made the kind of money that it makes now. Even when these incredibly crazy high price, when you hear about people getting a $230 million, you're like, oh my God, this is going to wreck the game. And it's weird. There's just so much money that flows in, but it all flows in as locally rather than nationally. Um, So I don't know. That that Super Bowl thing and how crazy people get over buying ads... Probably thinking it might be the Super Bowl. Uh, but over the course of a season, damn, Major League Baseball's got money coming in through so many weird places. And so many teams, so many games. Uh, coming up in just a couple moments, Graham Nash, uh, who is one of our favorite people in the world. Um, his book has gone paperback, uh, and that's Wild Tales of Rock and Roll Life. And it is a, it's a crazy life this man has, uh, has lived, the amount of people that he knows. Um, now, Fez's uh, Rays coach, what's his name again, Fez? Um, Madden. John Madden. <laughs> uh, he is going to the Chicago Cubs, which a lot of people are going, oh, why would you do that? I think it's the number one job in baseball if you want to be a manager. If you get that win, if you get him to the... Go ahead and say it. Preach. If, if you get to the World Preach Series... It, dude. If you get him to the World Series and you're John Madden... And you win the World Series, dude. You're fucking remembered forever. A, you, you own the town of Chicago. You never buy a beer again for the rest of your life. It's the only job in baseball where, as a manager, you get the opportunity to become an absolute legend because, you know, if you went to the Red Sox and won, or the Dodgers and won, or the Yankees and won, and even further down, you know... If you went to the Phillies and won, or Marlins and won, no one's going to really remember that other than more than that. But if you go to Chicago and win with the Cubs, first of all, there's going to be a parade that takes place over 2,000 miles. It'll be the biggest thing that ever happened. And all the people are saying, oh, it's not going to work. Whatever. You got to take that shot, though. Hell yeah. Yeah, Theo Epstein there. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He won with the Red Sox, a team that was uh, cursed. It's 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 great. I love it. That's why I've liked the, the Royals thirty years since they haven't won. And yet, it wouldn't have been a big deal, not compared to the Cubs. Oh really. no, no, they would blow it away. I mean, the yeah. Cubs, Jesus Christ, it's it's Chicago. <laughs> it's sh- the Cubs. It's the Jinx. It's everything you would want to have. Everything you would want to do. Uh, Jeremy, Oklahoma City. Go ahead, buddy. Hey, uh, I'm a, I, I just 
say this, I'm a huge Giant fan, a huge Chris Stanley fan also, and I, I love it when you guys always give him a hard time about being a jinx, but the day that you guys picked the World Series about a week ago, mm-hmm. and I never believe it, I never buy into that stuff, I'm like, oh, he's no jinx, but I can't tell you how happy I was the day I heard him pick Kansas City, I literally was fist pumping in my truck, sitting there, yes! He picked the he picked the Royals. We got this locked up, dude. I can't imagine what it was like for you last night. I I I, I stared at the TV. I was at home staring at the TV, covering my eyes. And it, I, I I've never and my heart has never beat so fast. I don't think it was it was, it was phenomenal. I felt the same way and, and 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 hadn't cared at all. Even at the beginning of Game Seven, I was sitting there enjoying watching a game. But feeling detached. And once yeah. he came in, I started to go, oh, man, this is kind of cool. Let's see how long he goes. Is he going to pitch an inning? Yeah. Is he going to pitch two innings? But every inning after that, it got crazier and crazier. And then when I heard, uh, we just learned officially that he will get the win. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Three wins in oh series? Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, what? They're going to give it to him? Crazy, yeah. man. And I tried to, I went on my computer and set up a screensaver like I was looking out at San Francisco because I wanted to feel like I lived in San Francisco. <laughs> I grew up there. Shame on you! Shame on you for what you did. Uh, Jason in Detroit, you're on the Run Fest show. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, Fezzy, not to be uh, the nitpicker, but did you say John Menz? He was joking. You know he was joking. Okay, I just want to make sure he's not going to bring my father back as a pitcher. No, uh, he... when he said, because I, I tried to give him the test on it since he, you know, his dad was a, a big fan there all those years. And then he came up with Madden. Then as a joke, he threw in John Madden. Stop waiting to leap on this man. He knew what he was doing. He made a joke. Fez, they, they, they're I just, should have said John Fast acting to acting Madden. See, they sit there with sharpened blades and they yes, just want to. Now. Also, if you're not a baseball fan, this was the greatest thing that ever happened. We go from seeing this tremendous win, where you suddenly are looking up at this Bumgarner kid, and you say to yourself, I'm looking at a god. I'm living in the natural right now, okay? And I yell, he's the best there's ever been. This is how we live in corporate America. It immediately goes into, they give him the MVP, which is just a commercial for Chevrolet. Um, At that point, a man that we've never seen before in our lives walks up, sweaty, disheveled, and having no idea what he's trying to say. Is suddenly on TV. I'm not sure if he knew what he was doing. Like, why was he even there? How do you get that far in life and being that confused about what your position is? I, I honestly, I'm watching this, and I say, who, if Chevrolet picked this guy to, to make this pitch, maybe they're not putting brakes in the car. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, this is a reflection. (laughs) When you're looking down and reading off this weird little... I I, I could not believe how quickly 
he stole the spotlight so much that trending last night was Chevy guy. <laughs> uh, he's Rob Ford and Chris Farley together. Let's put this put this on right now. Thanks, Lesson. Congratulations. Um, as the official sponsor or the official vehicle of Major League Baseball, Chevrolet is proud to participate in this uh, prestigious award. Um, along with our dealers, we are also extremely honored to give back to this sport uh, by supporting baseball in cities and towns across this nation. At Chevrolet, we have um, we have also been proud of the latest and greatest uh, technology in our truck lineup, which is the all-new 2015. Uh, Chevy Colorado. Um, it combines class-winning and leading, um, you know, technology and stuff with uh, Wi-Fi stuff. On Star, sitting there on screen to recognize your performance in this 2014 World Series. I proudly present to you very own set of keys to a brand new 2015 uh, Chevy Colorado. Thank Congratulations! You. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. It was amazing. When he said technology and stuff, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching sweat pour off of him. And just the, the really heavy breathing. I, was he, he didn't seem drunk. Was he just nerves? I what? guess it was nerves or he was gacked up, but <laughs> Bobby Moynihan is calling writers as this is happening. <laughs> Quick, turn on the game. You seeing this? I've got the cold opening this week. The only thing he didn't do was break the World Series trophy. Uh, it was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, well, this is, uh, you know, this kid. Uh, it's one of the great things about sports. Uh, as we said, you get your chance to uh, see Pete Holmes uh, at Caroline's with me next, uh, is it next week? Yeah, a week from today. Wow. That's coming up fast. A week from today. I know this is going to go well because Don Wiki Wicklin has sent us just a how-to kit. I'm incredibly touched by that. Incredibly touched, and I'm totally serious. That's what I like to see. That's leadership. Um, a week from today, go to the interrobang.com, the interrobang.com, free tickets to come out and hang with us. It's all part of the New York Comedy Festival. There's going to be so many great things uh, going on. Uh, New York Comedy Festival lineup. And did we find out anything yet about um, the comedians for that funniest in New York thing, Chris? No, I, I checked in this morning. They're waiting for releases for them. Well, they don't need releases. They need just to come over here like regular comics would. That's what I explained. But then they said, no, we need releases for this. Can I tell you something? Sure. Use Don. Don can cut through things for you. You don't have to sit and wait. He's the go-to guy. He's the man. All right. Uh, by the way, people want to know what that piece was up on the iBang as. Um, I, I think it was just Chevy guy. Yeah, Chevy guy steals. The spotlight from the Giants. Yeah. He was fin he was fantastic. But you've got to see it. It's one thing to hear it, but you've got to see it. 
And the other people's reactions were also just confused and like... like the fact that he didn't yell out Van by the river, you know, is the only <laughs> thing that really... Chevy Van by the river. It's great to see that Fast Freddy is all grown up and got a good job for himself. <laughs> that was just fantastic. Uh, but as I talked about, Graham Nash is waiting for us. Uh, Wild Tales, A Rock and Roll Life, now in paperback, GrahamNash.com, GrahamNash.com. Um, let's bring in the one and only Graham Nash. Must have a code that you can live by, and so become yourself. Because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well; their father's hell did slowly go by. Them on your dreams The one they fix The one you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they love you His book, Wild Tales of Rock and Roll Life, is now available in paperback in stores and online. Go to GrahamNash.com. This, of course, was a New York Times bestseller. 
And um, it's great to have you back in here. Thank man. you, Ron. It's interesting that, you know, obviously publishers not only want to bring, you know, good literary works to the public, but they need to make money, too, as a company. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're bringing out the paperback means that the hardcover version must have solved pretty well. Sure, it's exactly true, because not everybody gets a paperback That's anymore. Right. That's right. Uh, you know, I was just talking with Mick Fleetwood earlier this week, and it, it reminded me of you because we were talking about 1960s London and how many spectacular people were together at the same time. I know, it's crazy, eh? Just as the world turned. Yeah, crazy. We seem to have been in the right place at the right time. You know, but I always think that. I think today's the right time in the right place. Yeah. Well, you've caught quite a few waves in your life. <laughs> and I can't even surf. <laughs> yeah. But you do have that tendency to make sure or you just end up around really creative people. That even if you weren't a great songwriter, a great singer, you would have still ended up in these places somehow. You I think? have the feeling. Yeah, yeah. I think it would have been maybe photography or art. But I think that... That as well as having an uh, an ear, you have an eye for what's yeah. going on as I, well. I, I like to be open 360 degrees, you know, mm-hmm. 365 days a year. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and I, I, I carry my camera with me. Here it is, not six inches from my hand already. Um, there's a lot to see, a lot to, uh, lot to share, a lot of wonderful things happening in this world, and I just want to be there to document it. I have to... Uh, I have to create something every single day or else I can't sleep because, uh, well, quite frankly, my father was dead at 46. Mm. You know, I'm now 72 and I've kind of been leading two lives all these, all these years, one for myself and one for him. Uh, and he turned me onto the magic of photography when I was 10 years old and uh, I've been a photographer longer than I've been a musician. Isn't that amazing? But when you talk about your father dying at such a young age, is that something that haunted you too? Absolutely. Yeah. Who, who isn't haunted by the death of their father at an early age? Mm-hmm. I used to think my dad was old. I mean, it's the same with yeah. every other kid. You think your dad's old because he's your dad, right? But he was only 46 years old. That's nothing. No, no, absolutely nothing. So you carry that, and then when you look up and see you're approaching that number and then meeting that number and bypassing that number, you, you feel the grains of sand. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the one great song of Bob Dylan's that I love, Every Grain of Sand, because yeah. it's absolutely true. Well, you have the kind of life, and most of us don't, where you know you've left something behind, that the music that you've been involved in in your life. I hope so. It's not going away, Graham. I hope not. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm sure it'll, by far, you know, last longer than this physical body of mine. Which is a, tr- a tremendous thing to be able to say. You yeah, know? it is. Um, and we, of course, know people. I mean, we grew up, most of us in school, studying the work of people who were no longer alive. So to think that 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 your work... And the amazing thing about your career, you know, we talked about a little bit about London and just being that place. But then also you were in L.A. when it was that place. And it was very interesting to see... Your career of, in London, you're a kid. By the time you get to L.A., it's not that many years later. No. But Crosby, Stills, and Nash are 
or had started something that so many other people followed. I know. You know? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because all we were doing is following our hearts. When I heard that first sound that me and David and Stephen sang together, you know, in Joni's living room all those many years ago, I knew that something special had happened. And I knew that that's what I wanted. And I knew in my heart that I'd have to be with these two guys, you know, David and Stephen, for years. 45 years? I don't think so. <laughs> but then, you know, I thought, oh, man, my life has changed drastically. And I knew it. And you're a young man when that happens. And... It's, I guess your life was a before and after that moment. No. It wasn't. No, my, my life has been before and after the decision at 13 years old that that's what I wanted to do with my life. You saw it lay out in front of you. Absolutely. At 13. I used to practice my autograph at 13. Even though from the, from the part of the world where you live, people didn't grow up to have to sign their autographs. No, but I, 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 that's one of the ways I pulled myself towards my dream of being a rock musician. Yeah. I knew that you know, if I ever got famous, I'd need an autograph. So why not practice it? It's one of, the, one of the ways you bring yourself towards your dream. And what was kind of interesting is that there are so many guys in your generation who felt that at an early age too and you all were pulled together in yeah. London yeah and it's you know your book becomes a constant who's who that if we didn't know that it was a true story you were like okay you've gone too far indeed you know with 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 these stories I know but when I got to the end of the first manuscript, I looked down and I said, wow, I wish I was him. Because it, it read like a fairy tale. It, yeah. You know, you couldn't write this script. You would, you, they would laugh at you. They'd think, nah, nah, this is not true. Get out of the office. You know, you couldn't write this script in Hollywood of my life. And then I think, well, you know, who's going to write the story of, of David and Stephen and me? And then who's going to write the story of David and Stephen and Neil and me? I mean, what incredible four lives all woven together and inter intersecting throughout their, their lives. Interesting story. Well, it's a tremendous story um, because it's a story of obviously great beauty in the art, but also great conflict, whether it was against... Um, you know, what was happening in Vietnam or with the environment. Right. And then also sometimes just against each other. The, Indeed. The, the thing of having these creative people together. Yeah. I never had brothers. Mm -hmm. I had two sisters. Uh, and I, I, so I never really knew what that brother competitive, I'm older than you, I'm stronger than you kind of thing. Um, but David and Stephen and Neil have been my brothers for all these years, for over half my life. And uh, I'm very grateful to them. You know, I've learned who I will be, and I've learned who I won't be. And 45 years into it, people still want more from you guys. They do. Is... We just finished 70 shows this year, every one of them completely full. It's been an amazing ride, and it shows no sign of stopping. And in some ways, it's it's... Even being thought of as more precious. Um, I think so. The older we get, the more precious it is. Yeah. And the older we get, the more that we realize that we have our weaknesses and our strengths and what do we want to concentrate on. Used to be we'd concentrate on our weaknesses and we'd pick p people apart by, by utilizing their weaknesses. Not so much in the last decade. I think that we've uh, really realized that we're, we're, you know, in our 70s and, you know, 
really realistically how long can this go on, you know, and that we uh, better get on with making the best music we can and pleasing as many people as we can. One of the things that's so great about Wild Tales, and as we said, the book is out in paperback now everywhere, um, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen another person do this, but you will explain where some of the songs came from sometimes, yeah. but from moments before something happened the day before, and it seems like you can't deal with it until you write the song, uh, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. But what's amazing is then it's this legendary song that's this, in my opinion, a great work of art. But you're able to say this is what sparked it. This is what started it. That's right. I think a lot of people are very curious as to what it is that musicians do. Mm -hmm. And I wish that we knew and we we could explain it but we really don't you know we, i don't know where these songs come from i i have to say something I, I i put a string of words together i see how it lyrically scans i see how it musically scans a melody comes to me and i add that to the words and all of a sudden all i need is a chorus and we're out of there um yeah and and songs happen in the the simplest and also, at the same time, the most complex way. For instance, it took me an hour, you know, to write just a song before I go. It took me just over an hour and a half to write Our House, but it took me four years to write Cathedral. And there's no, there's no real reckoning of how much work you put into it means that's what the song is going to be like. In any other craft, you could say if you work for X amount of time, True. you're going to get a better product. Right. But here we don't know. You could, you could work for years on a song and not be able to pull it off. But our house feels like a gift almost. Yes. I think they're all gifts. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wish a musician could sit you down and tell you exactly what it is that goes on. I mean, we, I physically know what goes on in terms of wanting to say something and want to express my feelings. But I can't tell you what that process is of the marriage of a particular melody to a certain set of words. I don't quite know what that is. And the truth is, uh, Ron, I don't want to know. I'm just glad that it keeps happening. But, but once it does happen, do you know, hey, this one is Done. one of the good ones is this uh, you know the truth is that you'll never hear a bad song from me Mean, meaning <laughs> yeah. that, that if it's a bad song you'll never hear it <laughs> but so you'll be able to say i wrote this i meant it not for the public yes this one yeah is. yeah yeah i know that so you're able to stand back almost as a as a fan yes. of your work and or a critic even and not say, of my work particularly but of yeah. music and I know when, when I write a melody and a set of words that's going to affect your heart. I know. I've mm. done it a long time. It's been over 50 years for me. Uh, and you feel the same way with other people's music? Sure. If David comes in with something, Steve? Because it always amazes me how you guys... I would find the fact that I've, to, to take a song to Stephen Stills and, and David Crosby still would have to be a nerve-wracking thing to do not anymore not anymore now nah, we, we know each other too well yeah but at one time at one time it was a little intimidating yeah because uh, david's you know crosby and stephen stills they're great writers uh-huh. you know Joni and you know neil great writers yeah it was a little intimidating at first but uh i learned to deal with it you know i i, I know you know in my heart that i i i don't consider myself a good uh, a great songwriter on, on their level but something 
must be attractive. I mean, here I am still. I mean, you know, when when I leave New York on Friday, I go straight into the studio. I've got 30 new songs. That's spectacular. Um, and we brought up that, of course, in your life, you've known some of the greatest songwriters of all time. Yeah, who, I'm lucky boy. Yeah. Who, uh, I mean, if you sit down and watch, let's say, when Joni would write a song, is that something that you would be able to pick up on, or was it so different from your style of writing? Uh, jo- Joni was a much different writer than me. Yeah. Uh, I have the utmost respect for her talent. I think that when critics or whoever look back you know from a hundred years and look at this this period cult that we laughingly refer to as the 60s that probably didn't end until nixon resigned in 74 or whatever it was yeah. uh, i think they're gonna and they're gonna say well who are the great songwriters i think they'll be dylan lennon and mccartney and Joni. yeah and there, there are many other great writers you know james and, and paul simon yeah like, i mean there's yeah. many great writers but i think those three will be the uh, the ones that people will remember most of all I'll go through a period where I'll listen to a lot of Joni Mitchell and I'll think to myself, how the hell did that even happen? You know, and you talk about simple and complex at the same time. I mean, it's so it's so unique to her, too. She's an incredible writer. Yeah. So to so this is, again, with with Wild Tales, it is so much of of a fun thing that you could sit down and just read some of those stories. And that would have been a book. Almost any chapter could have went off and been a book on its own. The time with the Hollies, the, yeah. the you know, just being in the in the canyon and all during those years. Um, there's so many places, and even your political work uh, has read like a who. So I know there's so many things that you were able to change. Um, I, I think that if, if you look back, that even when Crosby, Stills, and Nash did uh, Ohio, I think. That that with Neil, with Neil of course with yeah. Neil of course, yeah. um, but that period was almost the beginning of en- the end for everything that happened before it. That that song had so much. I mean, it still has power today. Mm-hmm. But that song meant what has happened up to this point it's is over. Now. Yeah, yeah, and we killed our own single. Yeah. To put that out. I mean, it was my song, Teach Your Children. It was in the top 20 and it was heading for the top of the charts and everybody knew it. But then Kent State happened and Neil wrote Ohio and David called me that, ne- you know, next day and said, you know, get the studio ready. We're coming down to record uh, this song that Neil's written. And, uh, it, we felt it was so important that the American government was actually killing its own kids that, uh, we didn't care about another hit single from me. I'd already had, you know, couple of dozen with the Hollies already. Uh, so it, it was more important that we, that we get Ohio out there. And um, we d- recorded it very quickly. We did the B-side very quickly. We mixed it that night. We gave it to Armad Erdogan, who's our dear friend, you know, mm-hmm. from Atlantic Records, who was going back to uh, the, the New York office. And uh, it was out in 12 days, and we killed our own single, and we didn't care. Out in 12 days, mm-hmm. and immediately on the radio. Yes. And people listening to me because you didn't have the internet and in so many ways when you think about it this was almost the internet this was social network what you listened to who you listened to right was such a a way to uh, the and there's no way that you could have listened to that song and 
And not been moved. And not been moved and not say and it's very, it, it, it speaks greatly to the, to the power of what you do. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, you're sitting in here in this, in this studio in, in New York, but you're talking to millions of people and you're changing their hearts and their minds. Your link, your contact between us as musicians and your listening audience is incredibly valuable. Well, that's also the thing that you, uh, Live through top 40 radio with the Hollies, learning that craft of what it's like to put together a song into freeform radio of the late 60s and early 70s. And Graham moving into that in such a way of staying viable, staying interesting, that in itself is a rare feat to, I know. to pull off. Like I said, kid, I've been a lucky boy all my life. You've been lucky, but you've been prepared when the luck came along as well. That's right. It seems the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah. There's something to be said for, uh, you know, not having loose knees, not being so tight. Um, And again, Wild Tales is is a perfect way to look at this because... There's there's many careers that take place, but also at the same time, your ability to be able to bring people together for causes, and then the um, the confidence to walk into some of this with lifelong politicians and debate them. They're just people. Mm-hmm. They're just people with the same problems I have. You know. I, it, they're just people, and, and I don't get scared because, uh, you know, the President of the United States, I'll tell them what I feel, you know. Uh, it's one of the great things about living in America, you know, you, you get to speak your mind. Uh, I think that half the stuff that me and David and Stephen and Neil have done, we wouldn't get away with in a different country, you know. But this is America. We have the right to speak. No one has to agree with us, and no one has to listen. But we get a chance to speak, and I'm grateful for the voice. Um, the book, uh, Wild Tales, A Rock and Roll Life, is available in paperback in stores and online. Uh, there's been some talk that Neil will not perform with you guys again, which we've heard that before. But are you holding out any hope for uh, a reunion tour? I don't believe in the Tooth Fairy either. Mm. You know, whatever Neil wants to say is fine with with, with me. It would be sad to me if the music of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young didn't go forward because of an inappropriate statement by, you know, David to Neil about his relationship with Daryl Hannah. I mean, if we're not more grown up mm. and if we're not more realistic about what the true value of, of our friendship is, it would be very sad to me. But you, but you agree that David was inappropriate when he said it. I do, and I told him too. Yeah. But also, like you said, this is something that if you're close as brothers, um, these things come up and... They do. You have to and unfortunately, because of the speed of the internet, everybody knows in, within 10 minutes. Yeah. So you're still, you're still hoping. It's not that I'm still hoping. Yeah. I just think it would be sad if, the, if our music ceased because of something so trivial. Mm. Um. I would agree because the excitement level of what happens, and it's always really interesting to me because I always think of you as the guy of, A, you'll do your solo stuff sometime with Crosby, then Steven, and then Neil, 
And this is almost like being in four different Absolutely. bands. And they're all very different musically, too. Yeah, they're all very different musically. They're all interesting. And, and then, of course, you went back and did the Hollies again, which I guess people for many years thought that would never happen. That's right. But See, um, you can never say never in this business, Ron. Yeah. I mean, you've got to understand, Neil Young knows what we bring to his music. Yeah. He's not a fool. He's just a little upset right now. And I understand it. You know, he's going through personal problems with his wife, Peggy. They're getting divorced. He's, you know, he's found true love that he says with, with Daryl Hannah, perhaps. And the ways of the heart are mysterious. And I, I, I can only wish both Peggy and Neil and Daryl uh, the very, very best with their life. Let's get on with it and let's see what happens. Uh, the book, Wild Tales of Rock and Roll Life. So good to see you again, Graham. You too, Ron. It's always great when you stop by. Congratulations on this as well. And the fact that the projects just keep coming. That's terrific. From your mouth to God's ear, Ron. See you next time coming through. Got it. I'll light the fire. You place the flowers in the vase that you bought today. Staring at the fire For hours and hours While I listen to you Play your love songs
Fez on Raw Dog Comedy Hits. Channel 99. This show is available on SiriusXM On Demand. Go to SiriusXM.com slash On Demand for details. Bum, 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 bum. Yes, yeah, Ron and Fez show. 866. Ron Zero Fez. 866. Ron Zero Fez. Uh, our old buddy Dan Perlman is going to sit in with us for a little bit. How are you, Dan? Good, man. Thanks for having me back. You got a little piece up on the interrobang.com right now. Yes. What is this one about? Uh, this one was about uh, like failing or like bombing mm-hmm. on stage. And uh, yeah, just the, the inevitability of that. And just how maybe like the worst, <laughs> what feels the worst when you fail, especially early on, right? So, uh, trying to like well early, from that. yeah, early on you you know you believe the uh, you believe that they might be right, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like deep inside, well, right? Because you have yeah. en- enough positive experiences right. to outweigh the bad ones, yeah. So when you feel yeah, when you feel that you're like oh maybe this is just how it's gonna be, yeah. And I've talked about, like, because, yeah, I mean, there's, like, a lot of different ways, especially earlier when you bomb. It's like, you know, maybe you're in a noisy bar and people aren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. So that's one way. Or maybe, like, someone heckles you or something. But I was saying, like, the worst one is, like, early on when, like, people are looking at you. They are engaged. Like, they're ready to laugh. <laughs> yeah. But you, they just can't bring themselves to laugh at anything you're saying. They want to. And yeah. That's the most painful thing. It's like, oh, it's not like these people don't want to have fun. But, they, then, they're but ready. Then, they'll, then they'll laugh hard for someone else later. Right, right. Because finally someone gave them the relief. <laughs> yeah. The enjoyment that they couldn't get before. That's why you don't want to go up after Greer Barnes under any circumstances. Nobody would. Greer Barnes. I can't follow Greer. I can't follow that dude. You don't have it? No, I don't have it on this one. <laughs> That's where it needs to be, right? Yeah, sorry. Don't you dare be sorry. That's not your fault, right? No, I should have gotten it on there. Well, let's see if BL thinks you should have. Fuck oh. you, Fez Wally! Fuck oh. you, Fez Wally! That was a good day. Bum, 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 bum. Where are you going, Chris? Why isn't it on Fez's? I thought I had it on there. What are you yelling about? I was just trying to, so I was on my... Well, you better fucking put, you know, you better take the bass out of that voice. <laughs> no, no, I was I'll tell you that right now. I was yelling at the mic you to pick my phone. strong today. I was, I was... Now, you were saying you loved the last unmasked. Were you at that? No, 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 I just, I just heard it, yeah. Uh, well, tomorrow is Dick Cavett, and then throughout the weekend. But then next week, you should come to see Pete Holmes at Caroline's. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that'll be great, yeah. yeah. And the Dick Cavett, yeah, I want to hear that, because I love, I love watching those. Like, all all like those old clips are on YouTube of his interviews. Well, you, yeah, the... They're from the DVD thing mm-hmm. that he put out, and there's so many amazing people yeah. that did that. No, there's so many great, and it's a weird. It's almost. It's not like 
talk shows now it's so weird like freeform like some of them they like, actually take questions from the audience that yeah they just fuck to be, around like, totally like unfiltered or anything it, it, it's almost like it was radio you know what right. i mean like we're yeah. like they're coming in like i guess we're gonna do a show you got anything before right. we turn on these cameras <laughs> you know and that's the beauty of it except it's like not screened and it's like national television in a time when there were like maybe two other channels uh Cat Williams seems to be in some big trouble, which should shock no one. Right. What is his latest, Chris? Okay, he was hanging out with Suge Knight. That doesn't lead to a good situation. And this is according to CNN. They've each been charged with one count of robbery and accused of stealing a photographer's camera in Beverly Hills last month. A paparazzi? Yeah, pops. And then You know what I like about this story? Only one count. These guys are getting better. <laughs> Only one count. I mean, now Cat Williams is hysterical. Yes, Shug Knight is not, but Cat Williams is hysterical, and yet it seems like he's more known for the stuff that happens well, off stage. Wild shit's always going on. He's, yeah. a, he's a madman. Multiple gun charges. I mean, he's looking at seven years. Is what they're trying to hit him with on a camera. Seven years on the camera. A paparazzi camera. Suge Knight is looking at thirty because of his priors. So both of them have priors that they're dealing with, right? Exactly. So you know, this is repeat offender stuff. Uh, you got a little bit of cat talking about it. Yeah, this is. I always. This is the other thing about Cat Williams is great. He's ready to make a statement. <laughs> now I'm sure his lawyer is like, Cat, don't make any statements. No, I, think, I won't, man. I think this was vetted through PR people <laughs> yeah, and yeah. carefully honed. <laughs> All right, let's uh, take a listen to this. Is this an isolated incident with her? Like, did you? I, I am as interested in you in finding out what the lady says her actual story was. I knew that she was engaged inappropriately with a child, not with any adult. We're talking about a five-year-old. Let's be very clear. We're not really? talking about 15. We're not talking about 12. We're talking about five. So, What I'm was saying, the nature of this? I don't think I'm allowed to say. I'm just <laughs> really? saying. Uh, I'm saying... Let's stop this for a second so I can try to figure out where Cat Williams is at. He's saying the reason why he took her camera, and I'm guessing at this, is because she was molesting a five-year-old? Is that... That's what I'm gathering. He and Suge Knight saw... We must be wrong. I'm going to say this is not the official story, we're, the way we're putting it together. <laughs> Inapp I mean, inappropriate behavior with a five-year-old sounds like pet stuff. Now, but here's what I like, though. Not a 15-year-old or a 12-year-old. That's understandable. A five-year-old child. So I took a camera. If, that, if, if that's what was really going on, then taking a camera doesn't seem like a strong enough response to stop, <laughs> to stop a mol molestation. And it's a Penn State response. It that's is. what they it do is. at Penn State. You can't record this. You walk in on that and you go, God damn it, I'm taking this camera then. But that's not enough to not get convicted of the Good Samaritan Law. Yeah. you got to follow. Is there really a Good Samaritan Law or is that I think a, it was just uh, in that Seinfeld just finale. Just the Seinfeld, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> people bring it up all the time. I think it's just one of those things yeah. like the regift that just entered the lexicon after. Uh, all right, so let's see a little more. For you to have caught the child when the child is by no adult, and that's when you... I'm saying that she wasn't involved with any adult, and there were at least nine there. Her interaction was with the child. She was photographing the child? No, she was doing no photograph. She was recording. Recording? Video? Yeah. Video? So, her story is clearly she got in an altercation with me 
but she didn't. So. All right, so now we understand it a little more. His problem was this paparazzi was filming a child. All right. Okay. okay. Which was probably a celebrity's child. Right. Had so he was saying this is inappropriate. I'm going to take the camera. That makes a lot more sense than us jumping to the weird conclusions that we jumped to. <laughs> weird. I think it's totally normal. Yeah. The way in my head was like he'd heard rumors that this woman was molesting a five-year-old, saw her with a camera, and was like, i got to take that Nikon. Now, the weird thing about Cat Williams, no matter what he's doing, I'm always, you know, I'm always interested. It could be the craziest shit in the world. But I don't know why we've never had like a game show with Cat Williams and Tracy Morgan. <laughs> that seems like the place to go with this. That'd be the greatest thing ever. Who would be, who, who would be the What does he have, an ice cream there? What does he got? It looks like a, a Starbucks, maybe? Okay. Yeah. Just uh, his necklace is nuts, too. It looks like an Olympic medal. I think yeah. it's a DQ blizzard. He won Olympic medal <laughs> for heroism. <laughs> he was knighted. Yeah. It was with a child. Not a 15-year-old, not a 12-year-old, five-year-old child. Recording, video, yeah. video. So, her story is clear that she got in an altercation with me, but she didn't. So, lie one. Okay. Lie two Hi. clearly is she said should too. Okay. But she didn't have the altercation with that person either. Right. So, when they took me into the precinct... Step one, get me to blame it on Suge. That's not happening. I'd rather take it than that. Don't be silly. Then it is, no, we know neither of you did it. We know this person did it. Well, wait a minute. This person even isn't even in here with us. What are you talking about? Right. Why do you have two men in, in, a, in, in cuffs for something you're saying is involving two girls? The authorities who should be protecting... <laughs> now, when he starts the jailhouse lawyer shit, that's my favorite. <laughs> Step one. And we have to look at the evidence in the case, right? Because these guys have been in so much trouble that they're starting to feel like they know... They know the cops. They yeah, know the how protocol. It all works. They know the lingo. Yeah. They have lawyers. They've been in multiple meetings with lawyers, and lawyers explain this shit to it, them. So they're yeah. like, okay. They, <laughs> so this is how it works. No, they know this is not the sequence that should happen. Yeah. And they're always... Uh, like, if you ever been in a situation where someone starts to tell the cop, you know, you should not even be removing that unless another policeman is pre and you're just like, shut up. Stop it. They can do what they want. They're cops. Yeah, just, just stop trying to tell them what their job is. The cops aren't going to be like, you know what? You know the rules pretty well. Yeah. All right. You're going to run. We're going to let you oh, run. Home warning. Home warning. <laughs> so that uh, is up on the iBank today. And uh, just Cat and Shug Knight together. I mean, this was a month ago. I think Sugar has been shot since then, so he's probably in the hospital. Oh, so this isn't even on his mind at the moment. <laughs> no, no, this is far down <laughs> the, from the shit that he's dealing with. Cat's yeah. handling all the PR for this one. That's good, Cat. He's got Shug's back. Um, New York Comedy Festival is also lined up as a uh, part of this. Metallica is doing a week with Craig Ferguson, which seems crazy to me, but... Everybody knows what they're doing. Craig's going out with metal. He's going out hard. I just never saw him as a metal show. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. But he, maybe he just wants to get weird before the end. 
That's your way of dealing with it. I guess he decided the end's getting near. Let's get weird with it. Sure. Yeah. He's you got know, that robot. I, I see. To me, Craig Ferguson isn't that metal. This would be like Eddie Trunk doing something with Scottish dancers. Um. That show's that show's always been one of the weirder Lando ones. Like he'll leave, nuts. he'll leave frame a lot of the time. Like yeah. he doesn't even like or get super close to the camera. Like at first, people were saying like, "Oh, it's so great because you're so loose up there." Right. But when I see him just dancing with stuffed animals and shit for five minutes, <laughs> I'm like, "What are they doing over at NBC? I can't watch this forever." He started one show off with like the they just did a parody of the Doctor Who intro. It was a bunch of Doctor Who references. I like that he sings his own theme song, though. Have you seen his game show? No. Celebrity people or something? It's really kind of thrown together quickly, too. You know what I mean? It's re- you got to just watch it one. Oh, this is what you got to watch. Who's the guy um, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine who plays the sergeant? Terry Crews. Terry Crews is now doing Millionaire. He is... They got rid of Cedric? Yeah, well, Cedric left. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and of course now you cannot do a game show unless you're black. Every game show host is black. And Terry Crews is on there, but he's so amped up that he's screaming. And I don't think anyone's explained to him, hey, the microphone is going to pick everything up for the people at home. You don't have to be this fired up about it. He's just doing his character from Idiocracy. He's you got to watch it, man, before he gets it together. Watch it now while he's still, you know, thinking, now me and my wife can get that vacation home. I got the show on NBC, and now I'm doing Millionaire. Before they bring in D.L. Hughley to do it right. It's amazing, though, how many, um, you know, when I was younger, there wasn't one black host. And now if I see a white host, it looks weird to me. <laughs> Somehow game just, show hosting and basketball both went in the same direction. The white game show host is blasé, okay? Look, You're Car- right. Carlton was hosting a game show, too, like Cool H21. It was basically just playing blackjack, but on giant screens. Carlton from Fresh Prince. It was Bob Barker and like George Mikan. That was the end of the white. Yeah, the he white was era. the George Mikan of that like <laughs> of, ga- of game shows. He dominated for years, and now people look back and go, "Why? No one even jumped back <laughs> then." Because <laughs> you're being so wired and weird. Is something going on at home that I don't know about? Um, yeah, there is. Um, I have no power in my apartment. I thought you meant your career. I did not know where <laughs> that was going. Um. So no electricity. It's day two of no electricity. Your whole building? No, just my apartment. What? What happened? Um, when I was in the hospital having the neck surgery, mm-hmm. and I was on a lot of pain medication, um, that was when I forgot to pay the Con Ed bill. Uh. And I just forget things left and right, and I thought I had it squared, and I did not. And I wasn't aware that I didn't have it squared, so now the power has been turned well, off. How long do you not pay for a month? Yeah, because no, they don't turn your power off. Right, like that's that. what no, I was going to say. This goes back to April. So okay. you haven't paid your your power bill for six what, months. Six months. I I paid I paid it, and I thought I was I thought I was paid up, and apparently I wasn't. But for you the just year? said in April you haven't paid since April. Yeah, that that was the problem. But I thought I fixed this problem before it got turned off, but it got turned off anyway. How did you think you fixed it? 
Because I sitting ignoring their notes. <laughs> I did make a payment and then and I did and it. They kept they keep sending you shit though. And then May came. Yeah. <laughs> shit, I'm, I'm not here. Just a nightmare. I'm not paying my cable bill till 2015. If you can get away with six months. Yeah, they don't want to turn off your electricity. are off. They go out of their way not to turn off your electricity. Everybody who was like 20 in their life has had electricity turned off before you're like, okay, they are fucking serious. You do have to pay it. So you've been on the phone yelling at them? I've been on the phone trying to Bang. figure out. He should yeah. yell. <laughs> he's, he's been stealing electricity. Now, and also I didn't know this. To turn it back on, now I have, the financially I have paid everything up, late fees, fines, whatever, uh, Con Ed child support, whatever you have to pay, that's paid up. But I didn't know this. They just can't flip a switch at the Con Ed building no. and get me back online. Like well, the cable company come can do. To your building? They have to come to my building, they have to have the super let them in where the meters are, and then they yeah. also have to have access to the circuit box inside it's, my apartment. It's yeah. weird. The, the fact that meters are still around is like really kind of nutty. Meters on the outside of the house and shit. Yeah. It seems such such a throwback. Like archaic. Yeah, you never had your... So you haven't paid for six months. I was on a what, lot of painkillers for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've worked with you. <laughs> now, um, when do you get it turned back on? I have no... I talked to them two days ago and they said, we'll be out in the next 24 hours. That was the time frame they gave me. Uh, yeah, it probably won't happen for a little bit. That's the worst job. Those or else they're there right now. <laughs> Just knocking on his door. Yeah, they could be there now. I couldn't get a, time, a specific time out of them. They won't call you yeah, before they, they show up? No, they don't give a time. They just, you'll, I dealt with this with the Time Warner guys. They'll just show up and leave a note and like, hey, we're here. And so then you never get them on the phone. Time Warner will at least give you a smaller window. Time oh, War God, I'm at this point. I'm defending Time Warner Cable. Yeah, Time Warner I had to yell out. I, got, I saved this voicemail. I made the guy... <laughs> I was just yelling because he wouldn't turn on the internet, so I made the guy like almost near tears in this voicemail I got from him because yeah. I just wouldn't give give internet to my apartment. So he's like, this is the first time in four years that I can honestly say I can't stand by my company while this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst job, though, because people, they're never, no one's ever calling to say, hey, thanks, thanks for flipping yeah, the lights for back on. Yeah, thanks for getting my cable on. Thanks for getting my lights on. And Fez is yelling about them like they're idiots, but he's the deadbeat that hasn't paid since <laughs> April. Since April. <laughs> There is, a, well, during the painkiller run, there is a plus side. There is a huge surplus on my cell phone bill because I kept paying that when I didn't have to. I am not blaming this on the painkiller. I mean, you weren't on painkillers for six months. I was on for three months. See, this is what, and you wonder why your work stuff is fucked up. Everybody here thinks you're nutty. You were showing up and fucking wearing painted faces and stuff. Like, people say to me, what's with him? Like, I'm just using the men's rooms. Just please leave me alone. <laughs> Got my back. But th I've talked to people in this place. They're like, oh, yeah, I saw him in here late at night before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People come up to me. and Well, I've said it before. People yeah. someone came up to me and said, this is Fez Holmes. And this is why I brought it up. I'm glad I'm hearing this story. Because someone told me that he was wandering around this building after two last night. Yeah, I was here really late because well, I didn't want to go back to well, the dark apartment. There are lights here, yeah. And they said that you were um, giving yourself, they called it a gypsy bath. 
in the men's room. Oh, God. I find that to be a racial thing to say gypsy bath. I've always heard it's another kind of bath. Yeah, don't even I'm bring not. that up. <laughs> don't bring up any kind of bath. It's just whatever. Yeah, he was in yeah. the bathroom. So what were you doing in here at 2 o'clock in the morning? I didn't want to go home because it was going to be completely dark. Well, then you lay down and go to sleep. It's 2 a.m. You could just go to sleep. I sleep with the lights on. What? Oh, what? I forgot really? you're five. <laughs> yeah, I understand. All the lights on? Most, yes. How is that? How can you... If I like fall asleep with the lights on and wake up with the lights on, it freaks me the fuck out. I'm like, you know, what just happened? You know, you know that's what probably what's raising your electric bill to the point where you can't pair it when you leave the lights on all the time. Um, I'm sure my meter was spinning before that stopped. One time we were on the road with the the Run Run show, and it was like we're at some hotel, and it's like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, and my phone rings, right? So I'm just like doing that thing where you're still asleep, but you're like feeling around for your phone, Flailing and I answer, and I'm like, hello? And Fez is on there, and he screams at me, the lights are off! And I go, it's the middle of the night. Well, you, the light should be off. But I guess the power went out in the thing. Yeah, the power he, went out in the hotel. As he's trying to explain it to me, I just slammed the, the fucking phone back down. And he thought the phones were cut off also. That was a nightmare. I woke up out of a sound sleep because the lights went out. And then, I, not familiar with the hotel room, I'm just stumbling around there and then locked myself out of it. I've, ne- I've never heard of that, of somebody being awoken by, like, lights turning off. Um, Hunter, Maine, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, boys. Hey, maybe if Paul O and BL didn't always hit up Fez for money, he'd be able to pay his light bill. This is ridiculous. Well, some of that would make more sense if he actually <laughs> helped them out at all. Uh, I got well. You got it too, right, Chris? The yeah. latest from Fallout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it was a long one. Yeah, there's not a lot of breaks in the paragraphs too. So it's a giant block of text. Every email from Fallout starts from like the beginning of time that he wants to explain and move up into what he's talking about. <laughs> a lot of it had to do with you, Fez. I'm sure it did because I, I don't give him money. I got a. You don't give anyone money, apparently. Not even the goddamn power company. And you're using their electricity. What's your six-month bill come to? It was $500. Dollars. And then it's and then a $300 reactivation fee. Mm-hmm. Making for a total of $800. That's fucking 800 you're going to send to Paul O. He's out of his mansion in two weeks. That's really scary. Yeah. I'm really worried about him. He says he's in God's hands now. No, he can't. And he went through everything he did with Fez. And, the, and I will always say this, and I don't care who hears it. When Paulo was up here, best shows Fez did. When BL was here, best shows Fez did. But he doesn't want either one of them in New York. No, I don't. And yet you never sit quietly when they're here. You're involved. Fez lived life when Paul was up here. Like he was, he was. He went to that party with the Rolling Stones. He like brought out the best. Yeah, brought out the best. Got him to end up making a speech at a gay club. Went to a sex club. Yeah, he went to a sex club with Paulo. Yeah, with 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 Fez. That's great. And you haven't done any of that shit since. Why you send one of the boys for mist and salt? I'm a little down today. They have lights in a sex club. I know. Why don't you go to a movie or something? Why would you just walk around this place with the janitors being afraid of you? It just seemed like the safest thing to do. 
Yeah, eating candy out of people's offices. <laughs> I heard there's a holiday gathering here at Sirius today mm. for Halloween. What time? I think it's it started about right now. Um, there was that party here last night for, oh, the, yeah. for the new show. What's it called? Dirty, sexy, funny with Jay McCarthy. Dirty, yeah, dirty, sexy, funny show. Jenny McCarthy over the stars, and Fez would not come down the stairs for that because Mikey D was here. Yeah, I'm not dealing with that guy. He's a creep. Mark Zito actually came upstairs to get away from Mikey D. That's what he told me and Chris. That because Mikey D was just boreassing him while he was trying to work. Boreassing him about what? Just a nonsense of just talking his ear off and following him around. I guess trying to get close to Zito so he could try to get close to Jenny McCarthy. I thought everybody was close to her last night. Well, everybody was. It was but like a mixer. It was a mixer. I heard it was a nice event, though. Yeah, it was, it was popping off. I mean, there was a lot of booze. Did they, are they throwing a party for Jenny Hutt's new show? Not that I've heard. Odd. Weird, right? Yeah. I mean, that one was to the dines. Yeah. We could fix that. Could we? Probably not. I get a deal on a keg of Coors Light. <laughs> well, there's a field out behind her house. Maybe we can put the keg out there. I got a tap. I remember the last time she was in here, she was like, what should I do with the new show? What should I do with the new show? And yeah. I was telling her, you know, I gave her a million ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I turned in a new show. It's just her... Her life, her kids. Weight loss. Is weight, weight loss. loss all the stuff she was doing before. So it's just this is the Jenny Hutch. It's just Jenny Hutt's life. Yeah. Was there one idea you had that you thought like that was going to be money? Well, because she was L.A. Drive Time, I was trying to show, you know give her a show right. that could get real buzz. She thought it was a fabulous idea. Told me she already had it. And then obviously went back to... And then I weighed... So I got on my treadmill, and then I videotape it and put it on YouTube. My father knew Barbara Streisand. Oh, one of my kids just came in. Let's weigh them. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he put some pounds on She has guests camp. on the show. She weighs them. <laughs> Whoever comes in has to be weighed. You should be doing CrossFit. Yeah. What? And then she wrote something about you, Fez, which I'm not sharing. Oh, can you share it with me? No. Oh. No, I wouldn't share anything with you because you're a rat. What bullshit? Yeah. I'll drop dimes. Dimes. Yeah. You drop dimes on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you drop so many dimes, you're a meter maid. <laughs> Today, I was like walking across traffic Why? You know, those fucking fake cops were in the middle of the street. Yeah. And the guy was, like, just screaming at me. So I was just uh, just pointing at my buds. And he was, like, coming up. He's, like, two feet away. He's telling me to get out of the street. And I was like this. Pointing at the bud as if it was a <laughs> handicap. Like, I couldn't possibly take him out. I'm listening to something here. song. Yeah. But I really felt like I could have made it. I really felt like, without him getting involved, I'd have walked directly through the traffic. It could have happened. Those people are just mad with power. That's their problem. They have yes. this, this little I would of, not call that yes. power. <laughs> well, when you're standing in the street telling to tell people to move. The they, smallest authority. No, yeah. you're right about that. It's a little power, but they're mad with it. You guys are always ready to kill the 1%, even when they're in the bottom 99. <laughs> um, Aaron, you're on the Run Fez show. Hey, buddies. Yeah. Uh, Fezzy. 
two days, you, you had no power, you're in New York City, why don't you just get a hotel room? What do I need a hotel room for? I got TV and computer here. I'm creeping all everybody out. But the... There's no shower or bed here. I know. He fucking acts like wherever he is, it's the Y. You know what I mean? He lives in a men's <laughs> hotel. Why not sit there and fucking enjoy yourself a little bit? Go get pampered. But the two, the two days that could be good, because it be an excuse to get out. You know, you could be out late, because you don't want to go home. Not Maybe not sex club, but things analogous to that. More fun shit. There's gay hotels where just gay guys hang out and do stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Order a massage. The out Why does NYC. this make you upset that we're saying this? That we're doing the advice show? Why weren't we saying just enjoy yourself instead of living like a homeless person? You don't need to. Well, I just focused on trying to get the power back on. I hadn't thought of any of those other options. Why don't you think of the option? Oh, yeah, I can live large. Well, I just thought I would try to stay here until I was tired enough to go home and go to sleep. Uh, we understand that. Why not go to a luxury hotel and enjoy your life? You got the money. Oh, God, that'd be great. Particularly one of those gay hotels that are fucking edgy and cool and everybody loves them. Yeah. The one right here. The Out Hotel. Want to book your room tonight? I'm going to see if it's available. Oh, you actually found a gay hotel? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's plenty of them. They're like the coolest places in town. What do they got? They got everything, buddy. All oh, right. Nice. Adults, one or two. Some of those you can actually even meet people there, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're like they're set up for people to meet each other in this, in, you know, in the, in the city. gay hotel. It's like a exactly. It's like a luxury gay hostel. Yeah. Yeah, That's but right. like a really nice. It ain't no hostel. It's like really, you know, well no, done. But hostel in the sense it might be like ten of them in the same oh. big room. Put them down. Big gay for orgy. Single. Okay. Willing to share. Okay. Go to the spa thing, and I guess, what do you want to get? Calling cleaned? Yeah, put them down for a calling cleaning. Okay. They have that? Of course yes, they do. Of course do. they do. I thought you were gay. I am. Then you should be obsessed with having your calling cleaned. That's all you should be doing. <laughs> this should be scorched earth. No, it should, look, it should smell like Ajax every time you <laughs> fart. <laughs> Seriously, you should be having the greatest time of your life. Look, massages, detox, fitness... Spa terms and conditions. Why wouldn't have any of that stuff dawned <laughs> they, on you? They have terms and conditions, man. This is, they were given the hard sell here. Oh, look at this. Dude on dude. Look at that. Look, oh, at, that. look at that. Look. That's great. A guy that's with a good. nice fucking taking care of beard sitting there cracking your ass for you. Look at that. All right, that's not even massage. That's just cuddling. That's what that is. <laughs> it helps, though. But instead of doing that, he's wandering around stealing fucking thin mints out of people's desks. And getting a reputation of someone thought they saw a ghost in here. It was him. Oh. This, uh, that, uh, yeah, that that stuff is what would be way more fun than the pretzel sticks you're, you're stealing from here. This place ain't even that expensive. Oh yeah. I mean, What's it go for? It's this place is three twenty for a suite. What? For, yeah, this is this this is this is a bargain, Fez. Jesus Christ. For Manhattan, that's great. That's unbelievable. It's an urban resort. All right, it's not even just a hotel. Tell Con Ed to, to hold yes. the phone. Yeah. yeah, blow off ever fucking paying for it. 
and start living your life a little bit. Tell him you'll talk to him next day. If April. he lived in a gay hotel where there's just gay guys coming and going as they please, at least coming. Oh hell yeah! And then they'll just they'll just he'll be able to have just carefree gay sex with guys who are just looking for some penis. They're just visiting. Then they'll be off to Chicago, wherever. wherever. Yeah, Thailand probably. Thailand, yeah. Why is Chicago? Just- uh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Go on business. It seems whenever there's a business trip, it's always to Chicago. What? Why is that the far off land exotic to you? No, you'll meet guys there from Chicago. Hey, I'm one of those gay guys you hear about. I'm in from Chicago for a couple days. How about them bears, huh? No, I'm talking about gay bears. <laughs> I was thinking like high class. Gay businessmen, and then the businessmen know. And this is on Forty Second Street. This hotel, I'm looking at. Of course, it's right around the corner. Why Fez is wandering around here, eating fucking nothing. He could have been over at this gay hotel in the time of his life. Eating ass. (laughs) Bobby in Vegas. Hey, Ron, can you do me a favor? Hire somebody for Fez. Maybe he's been ducked out of his money. You know how those old people always get scammed out of their life savings. Fed stolen credit cards. Is he broke? He's got his money, right? Yeah. Why aren't you at the gay hotel? You Something happens. Look, let me just say this. If you got a problem and money can fix the problem oh. and you got money, you ain't got a problem. You've done away with the problem. You're not the type of person who wanders around a fucking building that you work at late at night. You're a guy who goes out and enjoys himself. Parties. You're getting room service. You're bringing twinks up there to goddamn do your eyebrows. You're having a great time. You get them to get some of the green out of the mustache. Everything is going fabulous. Could someone come up with a needle and thread and take care of this shirt I've been wearing every day for a year? That's the kind of way you live your life. Well, this place looks like, beautiful. Yeah, you know the saying, money isn't everything? It's a fucking lie. You could be at the out NYC. Um, Look, there's like a little courtyard there where all the, all the people who are gay hang out. Like, I'm sure all sorts of stuff happens there. Well, they're playing it's ping pong in that photo, but yeah, they're playing cornhole. Fun. <laughs> All right, uh, people on Twitter want to know why Chris Stanley knows so much about being gay in New York City. <laughs> I read there was a big fucking article about gay this gay hotel. I I remember when it opened. Yeah, you read it in Out Magazine. I remember that. There's <laughs> probably a lot of stuff you've forgotten though that you read, but that one stuck with you. It was in the post. <laughs> Does that have to do with anything? I read the post every day. People come from all over the world. Gay guys come from all over the world to go to this hotel. You could walk there from here. It's 300 bucks. For a suite. And 42nd Street? That's a fucking good deal. That is a good deal. I'll go there tonight. It's too late. Last night was your night. That's what we're talking about. Instead of letting Mikey D keep you out of a fucking party... I'm booking you for the next three weeks at this hotel. <laughs> I'm booking. You just said it that way. All right, let's see. We'll get you a nice suite. Just line it up with fucking. What's the gay tender called? Grinder. Grinder. Yeah. Get it with that. <laughs> Wait a minute. I just see something called the doghouse suite. 
Oh, that's are only... you the executive producer of this show? Yes. Then why the hell aren't you answering gays? Uh, Gil's emails that are coming in constantly. I just saw it. Okay. You mean you just saw it? I just told you about it. Uh, yeah. You're like here with him that ho- uh, that hotel idea. I just got an idea. The things you guys are saying. Um, David, you're on the run for the show. Hey, I got a question for the big cat, Fezzy. On the outside chance that you are. In fact, gay and not just asexual, and I'm saying that's a, a outside chance. Is it possible that you haven't acted on any of this because you think that there's the chance you're going to go to hell if you do? I don't think I'm going to hell, but I think there's still some shame issues. My last shrink and I talked about that. What are you ashamed of? The gay sex? The, the whole um, aspect of it. What are you ashamed of? Um, that it still feels like it's a bad thing to Can be I take something? I don't have any shame, and I fucking killed a man before with an axe. <laughs> Jesus. Why? He was sleeping. Did he do anything to you? How could he? I hit him in the head with an axe. But I have zero shame about that. Why are you shame? Tell us what. Tell us what makes you ashamed. What's wrong with being gay? There, in my head, there's nothing wrong with being gay, but right. it just in you know in my emotional thing. Right, I, so I want to just understand this. So you think that the shame doesn't come from your head? That's not a thought thing. I don't think it's. A, I think it's a mind thing. I don't think it's a, a brain thing. It's not a logic thing. It's not a mind thing, well, it's a it, brain thing. Where would it come from? It's like an emotional thing. Mm. And where do emotions come from? Well, your head. <laughs> what are you saying? What the hell are you saying? It's a, I'm saying it's an emotional thing, not a logical thing. So give us the emotion. Tell us why you're ashamed of being gay. Because it makes you different. It makes you weird. It makes you... um, The way I grew up, it makes you really bad. It upsets your mother when you don't do things that that you apparently aren't supposed to be doing. Like what? Um, I remember there was one time where she yelled at me, "Why Why don't you be normal and go outside and play with the other boys? Because I didn't, I didn't want to go out there and play baseball with them. And that's sticking with you today? I, it's, you it's, from... one, it's one that I remember. You but... know what my mom used to call me? The village idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I used to do? Roll on the floor laughing. I thought it was the funniest shit I ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, I care. And this is a place you can go where not only where is everybody it not a knows bad your name. Thing. Exactly. You're going to be the norm By the way, of this gay hotel. Who who doesn't want to have taboo sex? That's the whole fucking point of it. And it's just this is a it's a mecca for dudes to just go there. Like, all right, I'm gay. I'm going to this hotel. I'm going to be out in a few days. Let's see what I can get. It's, you can stay in the dog. Some of that gay strange doghouse suite. There's yeah, no shame in that. I'm start <laughs> I'm starting to agree with these guys. You're way too into this hotel. <laughs> you should just go. You should have went. How many days you been without power? Um, this is the second day. So just yesterday? 
No, I guess I'm going into the third day. What's two plus one? Three. Mm-hmm. That's third. And I figured that out, not with my mind, but with my brain emotions. <laughs> you don't from, understand. From it's your from, head. Yeah. It's from the brain emotions in my head. Oh. All right, let's try to figure out why you can't do this thing. So because your mom said that you wouldn't go play baseball, you don't think that you should be with another guy? Yeah, I think that's where it started. I mean, I didn't even know what she was really talking about. I thought it was like I didn't like baseball. You know, I didn't like... But she was telling you to go out and play with them. Yeah. So she was saying to get out of the she, fucking house. And she was furious about that. And she, But she, she was saying, go play with the boys. That should have been right. enticing. Been yeah, I didn't like what they were playing. Yeah, but why don't you go out there and play with her nuts? Is what you're saying. It's wide open now. Play with them. You can slide into them. Fez, no parent is comfortable with their own child's sexuality. That's a fucking given. Like, all, they have, all we ever do is tell our little girls, wait, don't do it. Wait, don't. He's taking from you. He's taking something from you. He's bad. He's bad. He's, He's making one. you bad. You have a precious flower. Protect it. Unlike all those people, you've protected your precious flower. You still have it the way it was given to you, the way it came down from baby heaven. Your precious ass flower oh. that's never been touched. That's you should be proud. Um, Bigger J, you're on the Run Fez show. Hey, Baez. Hey, man. Hey, uh, I just got some advice for Fez. Good. The Advice uh, Show. The Advice Show, the only show that you call in and give advice. The Advice Show. Thank you for that awesome introduction, Ron. Um, Fez, about six years ago, I was sitting in my truck listening just flipping through the Sirius XM channels, never heard of you guys, never heard of ONA, and your replay was on, and you were doing a Ric Flair bit. And I sat there and listened to you guys for the next three hours. And it was awesome, and I could care less that you think you're a faggot. It doesn't matter. You're awesome. Get back on the horse, big guy. You got this. Get on it. It was nice. It sounds like he cares a little bit if he's willing to use a slur. Gays call each other that. Go out with the gays. Even though you let your mom down by not playing baseball. Plus, did you ever try to play baseball? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I um, I played for um, AAA pet grooming. Wow, AAA ball player. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> Shit, it's almost a show. So why didn't you go out and play with the boys in the backyard? I just, I didn't want to. I didn't like them. I thought they were mean. Would you would you play? Like what? What, what position? Your baseball oh, days. I was deep right. Yeah, I played. Deep right, yeah. Yeah, I played two like gray. seven and eight year old. Uh, oh, when you were thirty. Season. <laughs> you, went, uh, you went out with the boys at some point. Still him a few years. Andrew in Jersey. That deep right field really sucks too. Yeah. By the time you run in, the inning's over. But uh. 
Ronnie, I think it's about time you took uh, all the grandma's paperwork and started taking care of everything. Send all the bills to your house. You want me to start paying your bills, Fess? No, I should be able to figure this out. And I thought I did pay them. I thought I made it right. But apparently not, because when I go home, I'm sitting in the dark. And now I just have to figure out when they're actually going to show up. Well, we got our other guests, right? I know, yeah. It's going to be tight. I saw uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash like probably four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and they were great. It was one of the best. They did like seven encores, and it was like each each time they came out, it was like, oh, jeez, I can't believe how many good songs they have. That I didn't even realize that they didn't play this one. Uh, but here's the thing. You know, that seven or eight encores, the way to do that is only come out and do three songs to begin with, <laughs> and then just make them force you for encores for everything. <laughs> play the full... Um, hey, uh, Chris, Connecticut. Guy, Chris. Hey, Fezzy. I just wanted to tell you, anytime you want me to dump some shame all over your face, buddy. The Advice Show. Shame sex can be very exciting, Fez. I think any of it would be really exciting. But I haven't had any of it yet. What would be like the ideal situation for the first for the first time you have sex? It would be like relationship sex. Like I went out with some guy for a while. Like have sex with a relation? Somebody in your family? Oh no, not that kind of relation. Somebody you related to. <laughs> you connected with on a deep genetic level. Wow, there's some great guests. Tommy in Santa Cruz. Leslie, how would you entertain yourself uh, by yourself as a child? Would you play with dolls, army men, Hot Wheels? What would you do? Well, it was a lot of sitting in front of the television and then action figures as well. Action figures. And they, they were... They were uh, they were men toys or boy toys or what were they, Fez? Yeah, they were definitely boy toys. Oh, okay. I thought maybe a little Barbie. Well, not in there. the way that a twink is, but I mean like right, action yeah. figure toys. <laughs> okay, Fez. All right, just curious, Fez. Good luck. Those kind of boy toys are probably for sale in the gift shop of that gay hotel. But that, that but or on the room service menu. Yeah, hopefully. But the staying and watching TV and uh, playing with toys and stuff. It's like, I, I did that as a kid. I'm sure you did, too. Everybody does it. Everybody does that. Everybody gets in trouble with their mom, too. Just don't take it so serious. Why so serious, Fez? Yeah, whatever you're doing, your mom's going to yell at you to do the other thing. Absolutely. If you're going out too much, why are you always running out? <laughs> whatever you do. This is like, I look at kids now, and I'll just scream, do something different. Just do the opposite of what you're doing right now. And you and you realize it won't it won't scar them for, you know, 
that many decades. It's up to you whether you get scarred or not from what people say to you. Obviously, the adults are going to be the enemy when you're a kid. That's the whole point of it. It's like being raised by behind enemy lines. Right. Nostalgic 13 is what Al says. You flashing back to it right now, as I see you looking down, holding on to the desk. Yeah, I was thinking about it. If there were thoughts, it would have been like one of those thought bubble things. We would have seen yeah. over his head. Taking some time in between lines. Yeah, I'm not sure what to say. So say words. I'm going to take some time in between them. Want to take a break? That'd probably be a good idea. Why don't you do this, Fess? We'll have you... Because I don't know where Chris is right now. But would you like to throw out the break? Sure, I'll do that. It'll make you feel good? Chris Fez is going to throw out the break here. We'll be right back. This is the Ron and Fez Show. Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Theme song, Jump Around. Jeffrey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Who do you have with you this afternoon? Uh, my guest today is a very longtime friend and an icon in the comedy world. And I don't use that word lightly. He changed the face of comedy. And he's the founder of Catch a Rising Star. It's Rick Newman is here with me. Hey, Rick, good to see you. Hey, guys. How are you? There nice are but a handful of people that could take credit for the comedy boom, and Rick Newman is one of them. Uh, what you did about at Catch a Rising Star got repeated all over the country. It was uh, the right idea at the right time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was quite a magical place. And what made you want to get into the to start a comedy club in early seventies, right? No, actually, I opened December eighteenth, nineteen seventy two. You ready for this? Yeah. With a party for Rocky Graziano. Wow. And, and let me explain why. <laughs> I know it's funny. He was the heavyweight champion at the time. Uh, I had been in the club business. I I, I ran single places and uh -huh. I ran dances, and I I. Majored in advertising, so I, every place had a theme, that, the, the concept behind it. I came up with the concept for Catch a Rising Star, 
but I knew I needed someone to throw a party for so that I could get some press. And I hired a press agent at that point. <coughs> that was Freddie Roman's press agent, Gene Weber, going back a long time. Uh, anyhow, um, I couldn't find a celebrity. Nobody wanted to sign on because no one knew what a Catch a Rising Star nightclub would be. A friend of mine knew Rocky Graziano and said, look, I'll introduce you to him. If he likes you, I'm sure he'll let you throw you a party. <laughs> so he had a place, he had a pizza place on 32nd Street and 2nd Avenue called The Champ. And it was his pizza place. I went over, I spent about an hour and a half with him. We got finished, he put his hand on my shoulder and he says threw a punch at my cheek and he says I like you kid you can throw me a party wow <laughs> and I threw a party for Rocky Graziano that's a great story and that was the opening of Catch a Rising Star on December 18th 1973 who were the early comics that were like your first regulars who were the guys well at that point you know I was auditioning a lot of people and it it, it took about a little less than a year, which mm -hmm. was amazing, for it to catch on, pun intended, um, in the sense that David Brenner came walking in one night, and he lived near uh, Catch on 77th Street, and he came in on a Saturday night with a beautiful young lady, always had a beautiful always. girl, always on his arm. He sat down, and I kept going over and asking him, and he was hot at that point. Sure. And I really hadn't had any comic that came in, and, you know, people knew. Uh, and after watching the show for a while, I kept going over, and he kept, not yet, not yet. Mm -hmm. And then he called me over and says, I'll get up. And that opened the floodgates, and he, God bless him, and may he rest in peace. He really was the uh, person that turned it around. Then from there on in, I had a lot of young comics that were working out, but I had a lot of singers, too. I did a lot yeah. of music. And uh, at that point, Freddie Prince and Gabe Kaplan, and, and they kind of <coughs> broke from Catch a Rising Star, which really helped. David Brennan was already a name. Yeah. But before Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and Andy Kaufman and all of them broke... I had Gabe Kaplan and Freddie Prince that broke, and, and they were... And they broke, uh, you know, gigantic. I mean, when the, the yeah. second they got their shows, yes. there were stars the following week. Yeah, again, you know, it was a different time. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, you, you weren't watching your father's comedian on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. And we, here was a club that had young people coming to it, and the comedians spoke to them. They spoke their language, and they spoke, you know, about the way that they saw things that the young people related to. It wasn't, you know, uh, about your aunt and uncle and, and, you know, Alan King, God rest his soul, and, you know. So mm -hmm. this must have been such an amazing experience for you. You get this idea, you start to do it. It's working by people showing up, but then it's also working for these performers who come into your place as kids, and you get to see their dreams come true. It was a win-win situation yeah. for the customer, for the performer, and for the club. I mean, it just... And, and at that point, 
I didn't do two shows. It just went on all night long, but it went on all night long. Really? Yeah. I mean, we, we kept the show going until 2.30, yeah. mm -hmm. really, until I had to close up legally. And people would come in and out and do, you know... We used to get all the... Uh, the Playboy Club would close, all the Playboy bunnies came over, all the yeah. management came over. <laughs> you know, the comics love this. They love hanging out. You had bunnies running all over the place, so to speak. And uh, it was magical. It really was. Uh, and, and then down in my office downstairs, that became kind of a club within a club. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we had all the performers. People would fly in and, uh, from the West Coast, and they'd come right downstairs. And, you know, we'd stay downstairs all night, <laughs> and comics would come up and do their set one at a time. <laughs> but we were downstairs, you know. <laughs> that is so great. Yeah. And how you got the name of the club was also interesting to me, right? Crossing the 59th Street Bridge, as I recall. I was, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, uh, I, initially, my, my front-running leading names that I was going to use was uh, the Talent Scout <laughs> and Off-Off-Broadway. I was going to call yeah. the club that. And then, literally, one night, I was married at that point, and I was driving back to Queens, and I had the radio on, and Perry Como's Catch a Falling Star came on, and I heard it, and it was Catch a Falling Star, <laughs> and put it in your pocket. I just switched it, and I made it Catch a Rising Star. And that was it. And that was it. The only thing was, everybody told me the name was too long. <laughs> yeah, it is. And Even then now. I made it Rick Newman's Catch a Rising Star, and then they really said you out of your effing mind. Uh, so many great performers that came out of there, but some people uh, you actually became friends with, and those became your guys. Who would you say your own personal faves of, of well uh, unquestionably uh, at the beginning i had never seen anything like it uh richard belzer came in and uh, auditioned and he had no material but he had the audience hysterical mm -hmm. and he was able to go around and just pick on people, it, whoever was unfortunate enough to be sitting <laughs> at the table right in front of him, he, he would destroy them. And the women, he'd pick up their pocketbooks and go through their pocketbook, but drop dead hysterical. Yeah. So he became mm -hmm. my MC. Now, and we, we the, yeah. are and were like brothers. We still are. Now, here's the thing, too. I talk about the, the people went out and tried to do their own version of Catch. All around the country, somebody tried to become the local Belzer. People have no idea, you know, because that what Richard Belzer and that persona, how many times it was copied, even when people were not attempting to copy it. Crowd work, work the MC coming up and pulled. That's all Bells. He mm -hmm. wrote the book. Yeah. I'm not kidding. For the for the quote new comedian that mm -hmm. happened from the seventies on. As far as an MC and host, he wrote the book. He was amazing. He knew what was going on everywhere in that room at any, every given time. And he would store, you know, the material for five minutes from now or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And he just kept the flow of the show going. And people, even though he was an unknown, 
people were calling and asking if he was emceeing that night. Yeah. He, he, was, he became my main MC. Well, I remember when Rolling Stone did the article, right, and cool. it was about this guy, he should have got Saturday Night Live, he should have been in the movie with De Niro, all this stuff. And I remember reading the article, and it was basically kind of, and I'm going... Oh, I, I wish this was my life. I yeah. wish I was Bell's. It's, it seemed like the definition of hip. Yeah, it at was. The time. It, it really was. Uh, you know, he became a cult following mm -hmm. in New York. You know, always dressed in black, mm -hmm. uh, quick, acerbic, bright, mm -hmm. smart, uh, and funny as hell. Uh, and he really did uh, become the. He personified what an yeah. MC is supposed to do. He, he was, was a template. Of, he was on one of the earliest SNLs back in 1975 when the show first started. I was there that night, and I don't remember exactly what he did. He might have done something on News Update, but he was there from the well, very beginning. Well, Lorne, I think, came when Lorne came to New York, he followed Belzer around for a while. And Belzer. Well, Belzer was. For, yeah. no, I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no. but Belzer was good friends with uh, John Belushi. Uh -huh. and, and so he would, you know, immediately drawn into that circle, you know, and then Robin and Belzer and, uh, uh, and Belushi, you know, were very close. <sighs> they used to get up on stage. Belzer and Robin would do backup doo ops while Belushi. To Joe Cocker. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the things that went on that you were, if you were there and you saw it, it was like, oh my God, magical. And you never know, Rick. You never knew who was going <laughs> to yeah. come in and what was going to happen. No, I, you know, my format at that point wasn't the format that it eventually turned into where yeah. you just had X amount of time on space. So I had to schedule every performer. <laughs> Basically, you know, I might tell Jeff that he could go on, mm. you know, whoever was waiting to go on. And, uh, um, Brenna would walk in, or depending upon yeah. who was either working on a Tonight Show or had some heat going, and everyone knew. You know, I think sometimes the most difficult job was keeping everyone happy, adjusting them uh, with their spot, because you had to change spots on on a regular basis. Uh, Rick Newman is here now. Of course, uh, a couple of our buddies are doing a project that you're one of the producers for, and that's Ha the Musical. Ha the Musical. It's fabulous. Uh, yeah, it, I went up and saw it at your club. Um, when, when, oh, when the did, August yeah. run. You were at the August I run. I was at the August oh, run. Great. And uh, it was... Uh, it's such a crazy night because these guys aren't natural singers <laughs> and dancers. And I, w I was saying on the, the big Jay Okerson who yeah, does crowd he does, work. He's a friend of the show. You know? yeah. He gets it as, as your show a lot. But to do that, to sing and dance and then go in the crowd, I said you'll never have to prove bravery to <laughs> anyone ever again. Uh, it's, it's hysterical. It's charming. Uh, Michelle went... Uh, uh, who, who wrote it, and she's an Emmy-winning writer, mm -hmm. uh, staff writer for Paramount, she directed it. Uh, she, I think, has captured, you know, uh, as far as a comedian is concerned, all the complexities, the brilliance, what they go through, if you saw it, you know, mm -hmm. to get stage time and work on material and the loneliness and the road. I mean, it, it's not 
I didn't get involved with this as a producer just because it's an idea, a good idea, and it, it was time for something like this. I really got involved as a producer because Michelle did a great job. I partnered uh, producers with um, Eileen Cope and Peter Martin, my partner at the theater as well, by the way. Yeah, he gets offered many, many things, but when he called me, he was really excited about this particular show. I'm going to go see it during the New York Comedy Festival. Now, where is it going to be playing during the New York Comedy at Festival? At State 72. Uh-huh. The Triad Theater at 158 West 72nd Street between Amsterdam and Columbus Avenue. And it, it's a hoot. It's great. Well, during the August run, sold out every night, people showing up. Uh, David Tell was talking to us the other day about coming on. David Spade came yep. in to see the show. But I thought that there is something about comics that actually loving to see these other comics outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. Well, it's. I always found it interesting. Uh, comedians want to be rock stars. Rock, rock stars want to be comedians. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I. This cast is not only funny, but even if they, some of them that sing off key, Mm -hmm. you know, they can carry a song and and, and they dance and they got their moves down. (laughs) And it's really a hoot. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait for you to see it. Uh, On the, uh, just call this right now uh, is. George Lopez. George Lopez is on the phone with us right now. George is doing a benefit to get the Richard Pryor statue in um, Peoria, in Peoria, Illinois. He's going to be at the Peoria Civic Center. Listen to this lineup. Cedric the Entertainer, D.L. Ugly, Eddie Griffin, Mike Epps. Uh, let's uh, run over and grab George. George, how are you, buddy? Hey, how's it going, guys? We also added uh, Charlie Murphy for the Sunday as well. That's insane. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Newman from Catch Rising Stars sitting in with us, George. Did Pryor ever come and do the show? He didn't. No, th- no. He, he never. He, no, not in New York. No, he was a West Coast. Uh, Always a West Coast guy. Store guy. Yeah. And George, you're always- uh, hey, George. Good Rick, luck with the show. Rick, it sounds uh, great. Good Rick, luck. It's an honor. It's an honor to see you, man. I hear you. It, it is. Uh, Rick also had my first. My first idol, uh, Freddie Prince, going. Uh, we, were we were just talking about Freddie. About uh, Freddie being the first guy to to break out there. Yeah, he really was. Uh, George, this is so cool. You're doing this for Richard, though, and it seems like it's a long time coming, right? Well, you know, let's talk about Freddie for a second. You know, yeah. I was inspired by Chico and the Man. I remember seeing Freddie in a Catch a Rising Star T-shirt. I remember reading about Rick and Catch a Rising Star, and then their relationship and. You know, Freddie coming to L.A. and, and having a manager it, that didn't want to travel. And then the situation David Jonas. Manager, David Jonas, that's right. right. Uh, David Jonas, yes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, having him double dip, paying two managers, de Blasio and uh, Jonas. <laughs> and Ryan. all the, all the issues that Freddie had financially in his relationship and personally. Um, when, I, when, I, when my show was on the air, you know, I've been inspired by two comedians. And when the first one is Freddie. And then to get asked to be on the Hollywood Walk of Fame when my sitcom got reached 100 episodes. And then I asked at that time Johnny Grant, who was the unofficial mayor of Hollywood, if Freddie was in. And he said, I think so. And then Freddie wasn't in. So I got Freddie in. And then I went in because I wasn't going to go in without Freddie being in. So I, I paid for his star and had his son there and Kathy and a bunch of people from Chico and, uh, and the man and, and Freddie's mom from Puerto Rico on the phone. And then uh, Freddie went in. Way great. And now you're looking to make sure that people in Richard Pryor's hometown remember him. 
That's absolutely right. You know, yeah. those are the two guys. Uh, you know, as time goes on and as comedy gets, um, you know, broader, uh, you know, stand-up is still, is still probably the uh, most freest form of expression. And then you have social media and you have YouTube and you have uh, you can go viral. But, uh, you know, the guys that uh, I asked to do this show are kind of the guys that still found out, found it out on the stage. Well, you know, it's so funny, too, that when you talk to comedians, how many of them, like George, and I did that one hour on Mass when we sat down to talk, such a student of the game, you always know the people who came in before you. The fact that you can remember Freddie was wearing a Catch a Rising Star shirt mm, in I L.A. That. That's great. <laughs> that, that means you know, you know, you know details. No, absolutely. You know, I, I was an only child, and I didn't. You know, a lot of us are driven to the stage for a lot of different reasons, but one of them uh, that seems to be universal is a bit of neglect and a bit of, uh, you know, isolation and a little bit of an underdog thing. So when somebody uh, is bold enough to talk about their lives and the details of their life and the good and the bad, you know, I remember I worked with a guy uh, who was uh, 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 headlining and I was featuring, and he had this amazing 20 minutes on, on relationships. And I said, oh, man, I said, how long you been dating that girl? He's like, I'm not, I'm not dating a girl. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what about your act? He goes, nah, and I just wrote that stuff. And that just seemed false to me. Right. Hmm. You know, a lot of people do that. That's their issue, but it just seemed false. Listen, man, there's nothing like hiding in the bushes to see what your old lady's doing. And then years later, writing about it in, <laughs> <laughs> in, in detail. <laughs> Great, great material, right? Oh man, Heart, heartbreak and heartache. Uh, it's a young man's game, but yeah. uh, if you're a comedian, it just is a un, it, 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 that well never runs dry. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, George Lopez and a night for Richard to benefit the Richard Pryor statue at the Peoria Civic Center in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, it's Sunday, November second. And listen to this uh, lineup with George Lopez, Cedric the Entertainer, D.L. Ugly, Eddie Griffin, Mike Epps, Charlie Murphy. And this is an entire night of people who readily tell everybody, George, that they're standing on Richard Pryor's shoulders. Mm -hmm. Their life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, you guys know from L.A., from New York, uh, um, and the men, you know, Dattel and, and the people that you guys have mentioned, great comedians who still, who still dig and still perform and still travel, uh, which is also not an easy lifestyle. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, to honor everybody in honoring Richard, because it is that guy. It is, it is the guy that, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of demons and he burned fast. And, you know, comets usually do. You know, they're really bright and then they don't really last a long time. But uh, you, you have to enjoy them while while they're still doing it. So, you know, people that are listening, if you go and you have a comedy club, most likely in your city and guys come to town, it's always great to go and see somebody up close as you would have gone to see a boxer train to see how the, Absolutely. how he works and, and, and how he is when, uh, when you're that close. Well said, you know, we, uh, just had that block in New York, uh, dedicated to George Carlin. Yes. And now you guys are pulling this together for Richard Pryor. It's a, certainly, Rick, a, a much different world than you came into, right? When comedians are being remembered this way. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been a tough year in the comedy community. It sure has been, man. A lot, 
less laughter in this world because of the people that we lost this year. Yeah. You know, and Rain Pryor was at that event, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I know. That, that was cool, yeah, right? That was very cool. Um, it is a well, well, night... You know, the, statue, the statue was started, you know, when Richard and Jennifer picked Preston Jackson, the, the sculptor, and then it ran out of money and it sold out. You know, mm-hmm. it's been undone. And, uh, you know, as a Mexican man, I can't leave some work undone. I got to get some <laughs> <laughs> It's a we night. Never, we never leave anything undone. We might leave material after we're done. But we'll Slaying around. It's a night for Richard benefiting the Richard Pryor statue at the Peoria Civic Center in Peoria, Illinois. That's Sunday, November 2nd. Uh, 7 o'clock, you can see George Lopez, Cedric the Entertainer, D.L. Ugly, Eddie Griffin, Mike Epps, Charlie Murphy. This is a murderer's row of comedians. Uh, George, yeah, it, those guys were all in. You know, I, I called Chappelle, and Chappelle was interested in doing it. He's putting a schedule uh, together, and it didn't work out. And Steve Harvey as well. And I, I reached out to Chris Rock, who all had uh, uh, issues with the uh, schedule. But... Uh, you know, um, I think anybody that was uh, influenced by Richard Pryor uh, would uh, in, have no hesitation in, in doing this, you know, and especially in Peoria. And like you guys said, especially with uh, the, the hard times that we've had as comedians and the people that we've lost, um, is uh, uh, to, honor, to honor George Carlin and uh, Richard Pryor, and I'm sure uh, Robin Soon as well, who was, uh, you know, I consider him a friend of mine and somebody who was always very kind to me. Um, it, it is something that, um, you know, 30 years ago, nobody paid it forward. It hadn't been invented, but uh, right. uh, kindness, kindness is kindness, whatever era you grew up in. George Lopez, so good to talk to you again, buddy. Uh, it's Sunday, November 2nd, 7 o'clock, a night for Richard. It all benefits the Richard Pryor statue at the Peoria Civic Center. Thanks so much, buddy. We'll make sure to send you guys some uh, some killer T-shirts. I made some great T-shirts for that night. We'll send them over to you. Make sure you get one, too, Rick. All Thank guys you. Get them. Good All luck right. with the event. It sounds wonderful. It sounds great. I appreciate it, guys. Talk Thank to you, you again, much. George. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. That's terrific. Um, but, it, again, isn't it funny over the course of your lifetime, yeah. Rick, of now people are realizing how precious some well, of this stuff is? Yeah, also, you know, honestly, you know, to me, there's no art form like stand-up comedy. I always said, I managed Pat Benatar, so, and even Catch did music. But when a singer gets finished <laughs> with a song, the audience automatically claps, yeah, whether yeah, they were yeah, good, or good or bad. Or not. Right, exactly. And a comic lives or dies by the moment mm-hmm. on his material and his presence. So, I mean, it's an art form that deserves a lot of respect. They also clap whether they're listening or not. <laughs> they don't even have to be listening to the song. Yeah, yeah, the right. They could be tuned out, and then That's they'll still true. applaud. Mm-hmm. I have a story about Freddie Prinze that, um, um, what's his name? George. His, his manager told me that I'll never forget. Why am I blocking on his name? Yeah, David Jonas. He said that, that when Freddie was up for doing The Tonight Show, he was concerned that it was a little too soon in his career, but he talked him into it. And he said the same night that he did The Tonight Show, he also taped, I think it was Merv Griffin. And he said uh, Sammy Davis was the host that night on The Tonight Show. And when Freddie came out, he killed it. Sammy loved him, went crazy. And that really was what took him to do Chico and the Man. But the same set that he did on Merv Griffin did not work as well. And David said the timing was incredible, that the, that the Tonight Show aired first. 
And so much about comedy is about timing. Wow. It's about how it comes out. True. And and he told me that story. I never forgot it because it could have gone either way. So you think if th those two sets would have been flipped, you know, it, it might have changed his career. career. It yeah. could have changed his career. Yeah. But he said Sammy was very, you know, there were very few minority comedians in those days. And Sammy was really pulling for him and he really loved it. And he did such a great set. And he said that's really what put him on top by doing that great set on The Tonight Show. Well, it's interesting because uh, Catch Rising Star, what I used to do if I couldn't come in that evening and when I called to see how things were going, I always asked, how's the audience first? Because I knew the sets were going to be great. Right. But the difference in how everything was pursued, you know, came off was how the how good the audience was. And it, but it was generally a, a New York audience as opposed to oh, yeah. a tourist audience, which yeah. a lot of the clubs get now. Yeah, yeah. No, we were totally a New York audience. It was like a a cool New York audience yeah. that came to catch. Yeah. So yeah, if you could pull that off, and and there would be certain, well, you know, there would be certain performers that could feel more comfortable in New York than other places. Yeah. You know, there were certain comedians that would be too hip yeah. to go out and travel the country. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because when a lot of the comedians used to put their sets together, um, they used to talk about it. You can't be too cool. It can't be too New York. It's, yeah. You're playing to middle America, and you've got to keep that in mind. There are certain guys like... Um, I always think that... I, I think that there's a thing that if you happen to be from Long Island or North Jersey, it's very helpful because you're close to the city, but you also have a suburban background. So, like, Jerry Seinfeld has that, John Stewart has that, where they're hip enough for the city, but they still understand what the suburbs were like. Absolutely. Billy Crystal had that also. Yeah, Billy Crystal is a perfect yeah. example. Yeah. I always tell people, like, as far as a professional comedian goes billy crystal i don't know if he's ever had a bad set in his life anywhere well it's like seinfeld i think too I seinfeld's mean, the yeah, same yeah, thing same right thing. yeah absolutely yeah. um Jerry, and they work clean you know, yeah they won't work with any blue material he said he had a bad set once he said when um jack rollins first came down to see him is that right he said he was well he said he was performing at like a fraternity downtown and jack had come down to see him and he said he thought he did so well that he was so excited that jack was there and afterwards jack said to him he says listen you did well you got a lot of laughs he says but you didn't leave a tip that's how he put it. And Billy said to me it was the best advice he ever got because Jack said to him, you have to leave a little bit of yourself on stage. And he told him the next night, he goes, I want you to rewrite all your stuff. And he said he went out and rewrote every single thing and came back and performed because he had no idea how it was going to go. And Jack said, that's the kind of stuff I want you to do, personal stuff. And he said, leave a tip. And that stuck out in his mind. He told me that story himself. Isn't that interesting? R Rick Newman is here. Ha! The Musical is part of the New York Comedy Festival. That's next week, November 5th. 5th Wednesday the 5th at 9.30, Saturday the 8th at 9.30, and Sunday the 9th at 7.30. So. All at the Triad Theater in New York yeah. City. HaTheMusical.com. Uh, if you listen to the show, the Puerto Rican Rattlesnake, Lois J. Gomez will be part of it. And he, to be part of this show, I can tell you, he is ecstatic about it. Yeah, because he's never know. had the chance to act since high school. But that's what you guys were looking for. You were looking for stand-ups yes. to yeah. then... 
get into it's a musical playing the part about stand-ups with mm. stand-ups and and as you saw i'm glad you saw the show i wasn't aware of that uh you know they sing they dance and they do some of their act there i mean it's great it's all scripted it is a real play from beginning to end we have a great band uh, our musical director is this guy jonathan jivey Ivy, and he's fabulous. He's done a lot of Broadway stuff. Uh, it, the music is written um, um, by, uh, oh, I'm blank on his name, oh, Julian Villard. And uh, it's just a hoot. And, There's and, one of the songs one of the girls does that just tears the, the, the roof off. And I understand it's happening every single night, too. Uh, but this club that you have up there is really fun. I know uh, Danny Aiello uh, has come up and played it. Yes. And he was telling us how much he enjoys it. But also, you, you guys are doing that thing with the celebrity bios. Celebrity autobiography. And, yeah. and that's been running. We're going on our fifth year. Out, out of the theater now and it's different celebrities that read other celebrities autobiography and we choose the passages that they have to read and it is a hoot and our next show actually is november 24th at seven o'clock and ready for this schedule to appear we got matthew broderick Tate Donovan, Janine Garofalo, Debbie Harry from wow. Blondie, Ralph Macchio, Michael Yuri, Eugene Pack, and Dale Rafel. They love doing these shows. They love coming and doing this. It's, it's a hoot. I tell you, you know, for those of us in the comedy community, we, actors don't always have a chance to play live in front of an audience and get mm. laughs. So it's bulletproof because... All you have to, all they have to do, they give their own intonation and their own <laughs> delivery to each character yeah. book that their celebrity autobiography that they're reading. But it's hysterical. I mean, it's guaranteed laughter. So I always think it's it's such a unique opportunity for them to be able to do this and get laughter and immediately from the audience. Well, so many of these um, these books are so pretentious, but the fact <laughs> that some of the people reading it have already written their own versions of these books <laughs> is the things that's also killer. We uh, we did it at the Hamptons uh, this year, and Alec Baldwin read. Justin Bieber. That's great. And people said, he's got a book? Yeah. And actually, he's got two books. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has, what, 20? Yeah, so yeah, right. the time to it's a hoot. fill it's, up a couple of uh, books. The legendary Rick Newman is sitting in with us today. And, you. you know, uh, we brought this up to, from the beginning. There's only a couple people. Uh, you know, when you talk about how many comedians are... You know that the that that have established the way comedy is, and two people we've talked about today, it was Carlin and Richard Pryor. But people forget that there's always a club owner, there's always an agent, somebody who's willing to say to other people, "Here's how we do things here. There's no stealing material. We're going to respect each other. Mm -hmm. Whatever it happens to be." And so many times that gets forgotten. But no one does this on their own. No. Yeah, we, we uh, my God, my staff had s strict instructions that if ever anyone was seen doing someone else's material to let me know, and, and I, I really would bar them from ever getting up on stage again. 
And because the comics knew that, then as they traveled the country, they were able to pass that on to other places, places that hadn't done comedian uh, yeah. comedy before. Yeah, no, well, I mean, it's, it, it became a whole new industry. It really yes, did. literally an industry. Literally an industry. Rick, yeah. Rick was an inspiration to a lot of places. You know, he's in my book about the comic strip and mm-hmm. Richie Tim. When I brought him in, we did the interview at the comic strip, and it was great because here's these two lions of the comedy world and richie tinkin openly said that rick was his idol and his inspiration and he patterned the comic strip after catch a rising star because he saw how busy it was they had never seen anything like that there were lines around the block in the early days for catch a rising star it was a phenomenon and then the only other name would be bud i guess in new york yeah well bud was around before me yeah 63 uh, the the real godfather grandfather Uh of uh of stand-up comedy and stand-up comedy club. The only thing that happened is when I opened up Catch a Rising Star, now there were two of them, it became real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bud really didn't call himself a comedy club, and nor did, nor yeah. did I. That's something... You, you guys were variety clubs. We were a variety club. You know, I put <coughs> on and found mm-hmm. Pat Benatar and Melissa Manchester used to come in. Natalie Cole came in. Patty Smythe. I mean, we did uh, music and comedy, and Bud had Liza Minnelli and Bette Midler, and, you know... It, it wasn't there were no such things uh, as a comedy club per se at that point yeah the press began to give us look i did away i had a house band every night so eventually people were always calling and asking what comedians were on and just economics i was able to stop having a band and uh and just do comedy and i i just did away with music uh but and then people started calling it a comedy club. But, again, there were really weren't comedy clubs. You know, we were a variety club. But clubs. while that's happening, Pat Benatar went out to be the biggest rock star of that time. You yeah, know? yeah. She, uh, it's really funny because she had come in and she auditioned on a Monday night, which was mm. actually David Brenner is the one I used to hold auditions on Monday on Monday afternoons. And he came, he lived near the place, as I said, and he came in one afternoon, he says, this is a hoot. He says, you should make this on your slowest night. Just do it in front of an audience. And I said, that's an interesting idea. And it became, the se- other than Saturday, mm-hmm. it became my second busiest night. Yeah. You know, because we had, it was the gong show before there was the gong show. Right. Also, you know. but, but everybody had to go through that, right? Everyone I mean, had to go through it. I gave yeah. out index card numbers, and uh, comedians got three minutes, and a singer got one song. And if they got, you know, a crowd reaction, I would stretch that and let, let them do a little bit more time. But Patty, you know, was hanging out with all the comics. I used to do Catch a Rising Star on tour to colleges, and Patty would always go out with two comedians on tour. I put her in the middle so that I'd do a comedian, Patty would do a song, and then another comedian, a few songs, and then the closing comedian. I'm trying to think of what, oh, I think it's Fast Times at Ridgemont High where the kids are dressed like Patty. That's, yes. that's how popular she got, yeah. that every, all the schools started had girls that would look yeah. like her all over the country. Yeah. It, it I mean, that was a, a magical career. I mean, uh, she... When I signed her, we signed with Chrysalis Records. Every record company was after her. And we signed with Chrysalis. And we went on just a press tour to Europe. And her song, 
went to the top of the charts. So without playing the smaller clubs, she got immediately immediately booked into Madison Square Garden. Yeah, it happened uh, fast. Yeah, it happened wow. fast. And we went yeah. into you know huge stadiums right right away, arenas, and. Uh, it was uh, quite a career. She's still out there singing. I and she was in here years. last year. Oh, great. It was amazing. Yeah. She's terrific. She She's came a in, great voice too. Yeah, she came in and uh, and played live in that in that studio that you you come in through the lobby yeah. and um, people were going crazy. There's already that thing. There, there's so many people that connect back to that yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like we're talking about, Rick Newman is sitting in with us. Of course, the legendary founder of Catch a Rising Star. And he's one of the producers of Ha! The Musical, part of the New York Comedy Festival, November 5th, 8th and 9th at the Triad Theater in New York City. A bunch of our buddies are a part of this, so go to hathemusical.com for uh, tickets. But this will just let you know that George Lopez, huge star that he is, calling the show and was excited just to say yes. hi to... <laughs> yeah, it's a great story yeah. that he told about Freddie. I, I didn't know that uh, he admired him and looked up to him the way that he did. That's terrific. Great yeah. event. I think it's great, but also that in the back of his mind that he kept this as a, since he was a kid. Uh, there's a Catch a Rising Star you know, t-shirt yeah. because all the young comics, when you're particularly when you're not close to where it's happening in the back of your mind you're looking for any clue you can find and for him to remember that shirt and see it as hip pretty i think cool. that's pretty spectacular yeah, absolutely yeah, and really i'll tell you is. what else is cool uh rick doesn't do radio he came in to do this show is that right yeah. why is that <laughs> uh, uh well naturally i did want to promote the yeah. ha and but but because of your show i've been hearing great things i mean i know that you guys are hot and but do you but do you want to stay out of the spotlight is that uh, uh I do, uh, unless there's a reason to be yeah. in it, uh, you know, I, I I have passed on a lot of interviews just mm. to go on and and kind of talk about my se- myself is kind of a little awkward. But for you know, even if you didn't talk about yourself, and I can get that because I'm never comfortable doing that. The stories you have and the people that you saw at a certain time of life, those stories do need to be recorded. Well, I I am working on um, a documentary, but it's not a documentary per se about Catch a Rising Star. It's it's a documentary about that period of time. One of the most terrific in the history of New York. And actually, uh, I, 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 I... I have been working on it for a while, and it's it's called Timing is Everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about the timing up on stage, but it's the timing in everyone's life. Mm-hmm. So we are, and we have started the documentary, and like I say, it's not only about Catch a Rising Star, it's really not. It's about all the clubs that were around then, the comedians, the managers, the producers, that era, that time, Mm -hmm. the specialness of it. Here's what's so interesting too, Rick. If you'd go back and look at the newspapers, they were counting New York City out. And while this is happening, basically stand-up being happening, you got punk rock being born, disco thriving, there's hip hop is starting. There's an art scene that's still carrying on to this day with people like Basquiat. Something tremendous was happening, 
and yet the mainstream media was the last to find out about it. Yeah, you know. It's, yeah, it's true. It it well, it really did begin kind of this undercurrent cult. You know, again, you know, there were no such things as, as comedy clubs. Yeah. You know, it just it was the right time, the right idea, and the talent showed up to deliver the goods. Well, the people wanted to be out, and the people want, you know, I think sometimes when times are hard, it feels good to be with other people laughing. That's the truth. You know, sharing yep. that. Yep, absolutely true. Um, so when did you guys meet? How far back does that go, Jeffrey? Wow. At least to the 80s, right? 70s? Yeah, I would late, say late the late 70s, 70s early, early 80s, 80s, Jeffrey started showing up. Yeah. <laughs> That's how far back we go. And yeah. you know, uh, Who were the catch amazing. comedians then, Jeffrey? Because I know it would change every couple of years as guys would head out to the West Coast. You know, one scene sticks out in my mind. Dick Capri took me to catch in, in the very early days, and Lenny Schultz was there. <laughs> and I, and I, it was the first yeah. time that I got to meet Lenny Schultz, which was very exciting because he had just challenged the flowers on his shirt to a wrestling match. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was actually, he was arguing with the flowers on his shirt. He had just come off stage. Uh, he was wrestling with a bag of garbage and hurt his, <laughs> hurt his back. <laughs> and he was a phys ed teacher. He was in pretty good shape, but he challenged a bag of garbage to a, a wrestling match. Um, I lived right on the corner. Yeah. From catch, so I was there all the time. Lenny was amazing, right? He was crazy. Right? He was, crazy, right? was there anything different, though, in your opinion, about a catch comic uh, versus, let's say, uh, uh, you know, a, a comic strip comic or any of the regulars at the improv? Or was there was there kind of a, a different attitude with each club? Well, there was, you know, I, and I think Catch was more of the headliners in those days. Mm -hmm. There was the the bigger stars would come in because it was already known, and there were very few places for them to work out. When the strip came along in '76, it gave them like a third place. Right. And what was nice is that Rick and Richie worked together as a team, kind of. They w didn't look at each other as competition. If one of the clubs didn't have a comic that showed up, they'd call the other one, like, "Who do you got hanging out?" Because yeah. they were only a few blocks away. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that was a very interesting vibe because it didn't have to be that way you know right and uh, and and I like what you said about timing that everything is about timing it's you know true. that story that I told you about Freddie Prinze is it's about there's a synchronicity mm -hmm. you know and timing is critically important you had a feeling that that was the right time to open that club and you were right on the money because it, it had been nine years since Bud opened uh, the Improv, there was nothing else. In town. There was something else that that uh, David Brenner told me about you years ago, and that is that you you gave the comedians value. You made them feel as if what they were doing had value. And he well, nurtured he nurtured a lot of the talent. Well, I honestly do and did feel at that point and still do that, you know, a talent that gets up on stage, especially at that point, they were really not getting up for any amount of money. It was, you know, uh, a hamburger and uh, and cab fare, you know, and later on they started getting a little bit of money. But, <laughs> you know, for a talent to get up on your stage and, and give the audience a good show... How can you not treat them with anything but respect? And I, I, it was a cardinal rule. There was so much there, though, so much that because people, you know, it's almost like an incubator that that so many guys started when they were young and so much somewhat fragile before they could build up their strength. And now, as we said, it's changed the face of 
comedy in this country. That's a phenomenal story, Rick. And I, I get that you don't <laughs> want to, you know. He's uh, very humble. <laughs> yes, and I think that himself. that's it's, great. It's cool, right? But at the same time, and I have such high hopes for your documentary because these stories need to be told for historical. They do. They yeah. really do. Yeah. He, he has you know, a treasure trove of photos that I've seen that are, are just unbelievable it's, from uh, people from the early days. It's crazy, yeah. But it is a story that has to be told because only the people that were there really understand yeah. what happened. And, and no one's ever told that story. And like I say, this isn't, it's seen through the filter to a degree of Catch mm -hmm. a Rising Star or the vehicle that takes you around. But it's, it's about that whole time. It's not about only Catch. And, you know, sometimes we think because it happened with our life, it's somewhat normal. But it's not. And as the years have gone by now, and we have lost Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Robin Williams and Joan Andy Rivers, Kaufman, David Andy Kaufman, David mm. Brenner, it all becomes even more precious yeah. to to remember those things and and to you know to give hope to somebody else, just like George Lopez, who's a giant star now, but it took Freddie Prince for him to say, somebody is doing this, mm -hmm. and if they're doing it, you know, maybe I can. Yeah. Uh, what a pleasure to have you in here, Thank Rick. you. This was fun. Thank you very much. Uh, it's How the Musical. You're going to enjoy it. So many of our buddies are involved with this. Part of the New York Comedy Festival going on next week, November 5th, 8th, and 9th at the Triad Theater in New York City. Uh, HowTheMusical.com for tickets. Thank you so much. Thank you so Rick, much. what a pleasure. Thanks, Rick. My pleasure. Jeffrey Gurian from ComedyMattersTV.com. He's going to the Looney Bin on Staten Island, Saturday, November 22nd. Whoa. <laughs> Finally bin. putting me in the Looney Bin. <laughs> <laughs> the Looney Bin Comedy Club, SI.com for tickets and more information. Dan Perlman, he's going to be uh, performing tonight at the Comedy Hawk Show at Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg. That show at 10 p.m. and Dan Show Hindsight coming back to Stand Up New York Labs Wednesday, November 19th. Just email danperlmancomedy at gmail.com to reserve tickets for that. Remember Bennington on tomorrow at 7 a.m. on Opie Radio. And uh, I understand that a bunch of people are talking about Graham Nash, uh, what he said today about the fact whether or not that... Uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young will ever get back together, and he's kind of pl uh, blamed uh, Crosby today on our show, but uh, you can go over to interrobang.com to read that story that's going up and around. Again, thank you so much, Rick Newman. Thank you. I'll see you guys tomorrow morning. This was fun. Uh, that's the end of my show. Dog. And John. Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday to Thursday with Harry, Mark, and John. Satellites gone up to the skies. Things like that drive me out of my mind. I watched it for a little while. I love to watch things on TV Satellite of love Satellite of love Satellite of love Satellite of love
to the Ron and Fez show. It's now over, but don't worry. You can listen again and again on Sirius XM On Demand. Go to SiriusXM.com slash On Demand. Listen to Ron and Fez whenever you want. Go to SiriusXM.com slash On Demand.